Welcome to the Sherdog Radio Network preview for UFC 291, Poirier versus Gaethje 2. I'm your host, Ben Duffy of Sherdog.com. With me, as always, is Keith Schillen, the executive producer of the Sherdog Radio Network. Keith, how are you doing today? Dude, I'm doing great, man. I, I'll ask you how you're doing in a second, uh, but I, I want to tell you what I did today. I want to give a shout out. As you guys can see, I mean, move my move my mic. I'm wearing a Bombers softball shirt. All right. Um, we had a huge tournament today. We end up winning the entire tournament. I got to brag on my girls for a second. Um, super cool. It was a really big tournament. It was really nice to win. Um, every girl contributed, but even more important, being a girl dad, I want to brag on my own daughter who pitched the championship, went the entire game, complete game, incredible, unbelievable gem. One of the best times I've ever seen a pitch. I think she had one walk um the, the she only had one walk the entire game like she was great so but i also want to make a special shout out to another team that's not my team but i'm i'm chair i'm actually watching on the right over here and on espn right now team rhode island is beating team massachusetts in the top of the fifth but the reason why i'm saying this it's actually my daughter's team like uh like the 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 age group below they're like the feeder team um, as my team, my daughter's group just, just aged up one, mm -hmm. but, um, because of that, my daughter is two months too old to play on the team. Um, but like one of her teammates is actually on the team. She's two for three. She's a leadoff hitter. Uh, so we're cheering for Natalie Santuri. So we hope we can continue to watch her on ESPN, but also, uh, my daughter, you know, she's competed against pretty much every girl on the team. So we, we know all of them. So cheering for him. I actually coached my daughter's rec in fall teams and three of the girls were on the team but my favorite thing is one of the girls who's pitching when she first started learning how to throw throw a curveball she was too scared to throw it a game i convinced her to throw it a game and i haven't seen a pitch in a long time and now i'm watching her striking girls out with it on espn so this is fantastic so come on rhode island keep it going I am I'm rooting for Rhode Island in this one. Oh, I'm definitely rooting for the little guy if Rhode Island yeah, Massachusetts. Screw big I'm, ass I'm Massachusetts. Man, yeah. Like screw them. <laughs> this is not oh. even one city. It's Cranston West, but not even the entire uh Cranston. It's only the west side of Cranston. So come on, girl. Keep keep it up. <laughs> All right. Now that we have our update on the state of uh, New England youth girl softball out of the way, uh, let's do talk a little bit in general about the card that's coming up here. This, of course, is a, a slightly unusual one by the standards of the UFC, as there's not a traditional divisional title on the line. Instead, longtime uh, top level lightweight contenders. Poirier and Gaethje are rematching here and at stake is the UFC's well made up BMF title the one that was uh kind of wished into existence a couple of years ago by Jorge Masvidal and Nate Diaz and well, sat in mothballs for a little while but the the UFC dusted it off here and the two of them are going to meet in the Delta Center in Salt Lake City on Saturday uh they're sitting atop a 12 fight card uh it was a 13 fight card this card within the last oh week to 10 days lost uh, Paulo Costa versus Ikram Aliskarov as Costa was drafted into a matchup with uh, Hamzat Shmaev later this summer. So we're left with 12 uh, fights on this card. Not a traditional, uh, not a traditional title fight at the top, but nonetheless, one between two top level fighters and two of the most reliably entertaining fighters in the history of the sport. I'm going to ask you a question here, point blank though. This is UFC 291 numbered pay-per-view. They're asking $79.95 for it. Less than 24 hours ago, well, no, okay, a little more than 24 hours ago, you and I were talking about UFC London, UFC Fight Night 224, which was, of course, 
the Tom Aspinall versus Martin Tybura uh, fight night card from the O2 Arena in London. Yep. Is this card better than that card? Like if if gun to your head, you have to pay eighty bucks. <laughs> gun to your head, eighty. If you have to pay eighty bucks for one of these cards, which one are you uh, buying? Wow, that's a good question. Uh, the very fact that you have to ask that question should tell you because you you mentioned that you know you're paying eighty bucks, but not only that, we're paying eighty bucks for a pay view. We're also paying eighty bucks. What like two or three weeks after the last pay per view? Like two yep. asking eighty bucks twice in the same month. Like what I would have really rather had the UFC have done is load, you know, international fight. I mean, it was already a great card, but imagine it even if you combine these two. Imagine if, you know, you had the two title fights, third from the top, BMF fight, you know, then you throw in uh, well, Bahia and, yeah. and, and Bohovitz on the main card. Well, hold on. Not the, yeah, yeah, no, yeah. You but you dump uh, Hooker and Turner off the main card because, mm-hmm. obviously, you're not taking Bo Nicola. Oh, of course. But, you know, but you put Blahovich and pay it on that one. Maybe imagine the prelims has Tony Ferguson on it, Derek Lewis, Stephen Thompson. And you put it all together. Like that's an international. Fight. So, uh, but to answer your actual question, I, I do think it's better. It, but, you know, um, I mean, the, the Coleman event had Stolarenko versus McCann on it. Oh, so it, it's better. And I don't think it's a bad preview, but I, I definitely think if this was just in next month, mm-hmm. you know, it's 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 a solid it's a solid preview. But asking you're asking a lot for your for you guys. But the the top two fights are so incredible. The 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 BMFs, you know, whether you like the BMF, don't like the BMF gimmick. Uh, one thing I'll say about this, to me, this seems a little bit more real than the Jorge Masvidal Nick uh, Nate Diaz. One because to me, like acting I'm street, I'll fight in the streets, I'll fight in the backyard. That doesn't make you a bad motherfucker to me. No, 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 listen, don't get me wrong. Nate Diaz and Jorge Monsonal are bad motherfuckers. <laughs> but what I'm but in comparison to, in the MMA world, mm-hmm. I mean, who gets more respect for their legendary fights, their blood and guts? their willingness to put on a show than these two guys. Is there is there anybody else in that category? Like, th- there's people that we respect, but to me, it's like a pyramid. It's not even the club. It's the pyramid. And sure. these two guys are on the top. These guys, these two guys are on the top. They're on the short, shortest of short lists of most accomplished fighters never to win an undisputed title. Uh, just considering whom they fought and how they've yeah. done, especially Poirier, just because he's been in the UFC yeah. and then before that, the yeah, WEC so much longer. Uh, let me ask you a question. Let me yeah. ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. Put you on the spot. If one of these guys ever do win a title, an undisputed, which one would it be? Who's more likely? Honestly, even honestly, Gaethje. I think you might be right. And I, I think it's probably the outside possibility for either of them, just considering who's at the top and how old he is compared to, to them. That's but, what I was thinking. But, okay, let's just say Islam Makachev. If either of these guys beats Islam Makachev, it is probably with just a one-punch KO out of nowhere. And if one of these guys is going to do that, it's probably more likely Gaethje to me. Yeah, I agree. But but that's a dude. I'm so pumped for that fight now. I think I want to skip through all the other ones. <laughs> let's, let's, let's let's not from the bottom. Let's not from the top. Let's, let's no. <laughs> just, oh um, 
I agree with you that this card in general is stronger than the Fight Night card. Like, you know, I I don't think we get too much flack for being the type of guys that are always shitting on what the UFC puts out because no. when the UFC puts out something great, we're yeah. waving the flag. We don't work for Bloody Elbow. We don't, <laughs> we don't work for Bloody Elbow and we don't work for the UFC or uh, any yeah, of the yeah. sites that really just are out there polishing the knob. Uh, we, we try to... I think be as honest and measured as we possibly can. But one thing that I, I will say that makes this card superior is when you look at the average fight night card, whether, whether it's a good one or a bad one, one of the trademarks is the prelims and sometimes even the main card are full of contender series fighters that are still trying to prove they even belong in the UFC. That's not the case here. Here to me, the, the interesting vibe about this card is it is full of former contenders that are yeah. going to be desperate to prove that they are still important. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just you go all the way down the card, like the top two fights obviously have title implications, but Steven Thompson, Tony Ferguson, Michael Chiesa, Derek Lewis, uh, just going all the way down. You've got former longtime top contenders that they've either been gone for a long time. They've lost a bunch of fights or both. Yeah. And I mean, Derek Lewis might lose his fourth fight in a row. And he probably won't be cut because he's Derek Lewis. No. But but he is hanging on to his by his fingernails to any semblance of relevance in the division. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, you know, Tony Ferguson. I'm like Tony Ferguson might be cut if he loses. Uh, but you know, Bobby Green had a little, you know, jump into prominence there a year or two ago. Michael Chiesa has been gone for a long time after being a top 10 guy in two divisions for years. Kevin Holland was one of the breakout stars of 2019. And he needs to prove that he's something more than just an interesting soundbite. It's just a, a lot of the Steven way down Thompson. the card. Yeah, Steven Steven Thompson fought for the title twice. Yeah, Stephen Thompson's fought for titles twice. He should have won the title. Yeah, I mean, he came about as close as you possibly could, and all of a sudden, he's 40, he's had some losses, he's had some layoffs, and it's on him to prove that he's still more than just kind of an interesting stylistic matchup. Isn't it ironic that Thompson and Holland just recently fought Thompson won <laughs> and Holland's on the main card, you know, higher up the main card than, than Thompson is. Oh, ab absolutely. And <laughs> I, I yeah. know we have another case of that on the, Oh yeah. Uh, um, Matthew Semmelsberger beat Jake Matthews and Matthews is above him on the card. Uh, the card. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, well, I mean, there's no accounting for that. That's but... why I, I, I'm not doing my job in my place in the order of the fights. Well, come on, get up, get on that Keith. Uh, <laughs> shall we jump into these? Yep. All right. First up at UFC 291 is a women's flyweight matchup between Miranda Maverick and Priscilla Cachoeira. Maverick, the 26-year-old uh, Missouri native by way of Virginia, is 11-5 and five overall. She is 4-3 and three since joining the UFC out of Invicta Fighting Championships. She is coming in off of a loss. She competed at UFC 289 back in June, where she uh, lost a unanimous decision to Yasmin Jazdabisius. That snapped a two-fight win streak for her. Uh, apparently looking to get back in the win column as soon as possible. She's stepping in here on fairly short notice against Cachoeira, who had been scheduled to take on Joanne Wood. Uh, Wood withdrew from the card. In comes Maverick. Cachoeira? A uh, 34-year-old Brazilian is 12-4 and four overall. She is an even 4-4 four and four in the UFC. She is on a two-fight win streak. Uh, she it comes in off of uh, her last appearance was almost a year ago. It was uh, back at the Vera versus Cruz card last August. She knocked out Ariane Lipsky in about a minute. Uh, prior to that, she 
fought last February, taking a unanimous decision over Ji Yeon Kim. Prior to that, of course, we go back to 2021 and her ugly first round submission loss to Jillian Robertson, where she probably should have been disqualified and cut from the UFC anyway. Uh, but she kept her job and at least competitively has redeemed herself. I mean, she's won four of her last five here. She is decidedly not favored to keep that going as uh, Maverick is one of the bigger favorites on the card. She comes in at minus 350, Casuera plus 275. Uh, Casuera had been scheduled to fight Joanne Wood. That one was canceled long enough ago that I didn't see any actual odds for it. But my guess would have been that Casuera would have come in at a very, as a very slight favorite over Wood, just considering Wood's recent woes uh instead she gets maverick and is a massive underdog here i would feel bad for her if it was anyone other than priscilla cachoeira but uh tell me how you think this one uh pans out yeah um i, I first of all i think the um, you know i for those who have never watched the show i don't look at betting lines ben does all that stuff he's on top of it um i don't look at betting lines for a couple reasons um for, for two reasons one uh, i don't want to be influenced and well i shouldn't say for two reasons i there's two things i don't do that a lot of people who do these preview shows, I don't look at betting lines because I don't want to be influenced. I don't want to be if I'm on the fence and go, I don't want Vegas to make the pick for me. And I also, very rarely, sometimes I will, but very rarely will I ever listen to other people's preview shows. I, I might listen to them afterwards. Mm -hmm. I'm not like a hater of that. I just, I don't want to be influenced by, you know, this guy's pick and that guy's pick. So, yeah. um, plus we usually get ours up pretty early. So, yeah. Um, but that said, I, I, I'm surprised. The the run that Cachoeira is on right now, you know, winning four out of five. Again, not the biggest names, but winning four out of five and Maverick looking pretty bad in last fight. I'm just I'm surprised the the line is is that big. Um M Maverick, she she's still very young, so she has so much time for improvement, but at this time she isn't as good as I thought she was going to be. I really thought she was you know, more of the Aaron Blanchfield type where we're going to be talking about like, wow, could she be a champion one day? And um, I don't want to say, I don't want to say it's now or never for her, but it kind of feels that way. Um, she's, it, she just fought recently. So this is a pretty quick turnaround for her. Yeah. She's, she's very athletic. She's a Southpaw karate style. She's a kickboxer who's pretty elusive, kind of a sticky move style. She tries to land and get out before being countered. She attacks with combos. Though she can load up a little too from too much for my liking. It kind of makes her a little bit predictable. She also keeps her chin high in the air. Now, she has this karate background where she likes using the, the Holly Holmes sidekick to keep her distance. But a lot of her other kicks are, 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 lake, are naked leg kicks that can be countered. Um, she, I mean, you look at her. She, she, I mean, she's she's pretty jacked woman. Like she's yeah. physically strong, and she likes to use that strength when she gets in the clinch and wear her opponent. She's mean inside too. I mean, we saw. Her, um, well, she's mean against the women that she can like bully. You yeah. know, like where she's the where the the strength is such an intimidation factor. Uh, I, I go back to like to Alana Jojo. She had a lot of success in that. I mean, she busted Jojo up with an elbow inside. Uh, she will wrestle a little bit, but she isn't a great wrestler. Uh, she, I'd say she has good entries, but not a lot of chain wrestling with it. Uh, you know, that second and third uh, move. Uh, but I like her top game. If she's on top, she, you know, she has like a Dagestani handcuff style. She stresses position and damage before like going for submission. Uh, you go back to like the Jillian Roberts fight. That was a some pretty, uh, probably her the best I've seen her winning exchanges, grappling exchange like gets a known grappler. Though when she's faced other grapplers, Aaron Blanchfield, uh, she showed she wasn't close to the elite grab with the Blanchfield, but Blanchfield crushed her on the ground. Um, and then the Jasmine Jessavizius fight, 
that's the one where I said she bullies people that she can bully, but she got bullied by Jess Vicious, who's who's a really underrated uh, fighter, anyways. Mm-hmm. Uh, if if Maverick's on top, she has some mean ground and pound. She shows some some BJJ skills against uh, you know back back against Sabina Maza with like five different submissions on her career. Uh, though she will like chase the position, to look for submission. The big thing that I was surprised about her, and I know I'm, t- I'm talking a lot about Marina Maverick, I'm surprised, but uh, is is her takedown defense? How poor it was against Jasmine Jasavicius. Uh, she struggled to get off the bottom. Uh, and going back to like, the Macy Barber fight, she gassed out a little bit. Uh, Cachoeira, I, I just I just want to – I'm going to say everything that she was – we've got to say against the Korean Silver fight. She was – that fight was already scheduled. We broke it down, and then it didn't happen. So this is just the same notes. Uh, she's, she's an aggressive striker. She marches down a foe, but she needs to learn how to cut off the cage because she kind of chases. She's a pocket boxer who who she like she wants to be in a violent brawl. She throws hard wild shots, winging shots. Uh, she tends to duck and throw, but she has recently showed that she has some power. I mean, she blasted Shayna Dobson, Gina Mazzani, Ariana Lipsky. I mean, that's again, that's not the best fighters, but you know, it's starting to become you know the norm for her to get in knockouts. Uh, despite this power, though, she has she has bad technique. She, I mean, she has bad defense skills. She drops her hands, which leaves her open to counters. Uh, she also leaves her hand wide. Like she kind of keeps it more out. Uh, she keeps her chin high in the air, ready to be countered. She will occasionally go for takedown, but I wouldn't call her a wrestler. Uh, if she's on top, she's a top side top side grappler. Though she was absolutely smoked by Jillian Robinson. She's tough though. Like go back all the way to the Valentina Shevchenko fight. She says that she can take a beating. Um, I did mention that Maverick beat Jillian Robinson, and Jillian Robinson beat um, Catchware. I one, you know, we all know that MMA math doesn't work, but also we know, like, you know, just don't go by. Uh, sorry, I'm I'm really distracted by something. <laughs> <laughs> they like a big rally going on, and I know the girl hit. Uh, you know, obviously you, the. Math doesn't work, the, you know, I mean, math doesn't work, but also it's like different times they face each other. So mm-hmm. uh, I am picking Maverick. She's going to have to deal with Catchway's aggression, but she's still the much cleaner everywhere fighter. I think she might look for a takedown herself. I think she's the more technical wrestler. I say she beats her up on the top position. She uses her, you know, her sidekicks also to keep the distance on the feet. I say Maverick wins by decision. Yeah, I I like a lot of what you put down there. And I'm glad that you were surprised by the line as well, because I certainly was. Uh, This feels like a fight where Maverick is ripe to get upset. And there's a couple of reasons for that. One is that she's fighting just six or seven weeks after she just fought and fought a pretty grueling fight. Like she didn't take a whole lot of damage in the sense of getting cut or busted up or anything, but it was, you know, three rounds of hard wrestling against a bigger woman. Uh, Maverick is someone that even though she's short for the division, she is jacked, as you mentioned. Uh, I'm interested to see what it looks like when she has to cut weight again. She's someone that that has uh, her gas tank has betrayed her in the past. This feels like the kind of fight where Maverick could win the first round, gas out and lose the third. And it comes down to a split decision based on, you know, what the judges see in the, in the second round. I could totally see that happening here. And Cachoeira, as miserable as I think it's, it is that she's still in the UFC after like those horrible, completely blatant eye gouges against Robertson, she has overperformed. She, I mentioned that she's won four of her last five. Uh, 
she's won three of her last four. And in all four of those fights, she was the underdog coming in. In the Mazzani fight, Robertson, Gian Kim, Ariane Lipsky, she was the underdog in all four of those fights. And she's three and one in those fights. Uh, she wasn't, you know, plus 275 in any of them, but she's someone who's been consistently overperforming. Uh, you mentioned the good things about her as well as the bad ones. I mean, she feels to me like a shooter box throwback, like not even Vanderlei, like kind of me mediocre shooter. She feels like, like a female, like cyborg Santos, like, you know, not as athletic, not as powerful, just gets by on the wild aggression, super porous on defense. That That's what Cachoeira feels like. And you know what? That, that shouldn't be a recipe for success in 2023 because cyborg Santos was never all that great, even in like 2007. But, uh, in the UFC women's flyweight division, it, it's enough to have you on, on a, a streak of winning four out of five. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I I shouldn't chicken out here. I, I should, you know, go out on the limb and pick Cachoeira to just pick up the opportunistic big upset here. But Maverick is a better, more skilled, more athletic fighter, uh, even if she isn't 100% thanks to the turnaround. Uh, I expect her to win two rounds uh, out of three here. If Maverick starts to look gassed early in the second round, we might have a whole different fight on our hands. But give me Maverick to to do enough to kind of probably keep this on the feet unless she goes for opportunistic takedowns, win two rounds out of three, and get back in the win column. Yeah, I just want to say something real quick before, before we go to the next fight, just, mm -hmm. just in case we have newer listeners who don't, might not remember uh, Cyborg Santos. Uh Ben said the female version of Cyborg Santos. That wasn't a diss on Cyborg Justina. No, no, uh, no, no, no. Chris Cyborg, you know, uh, there was actually a male, and they were married to each other. That's they were Cyborg, like, yeah, she she took his she took his nickname and kept it. Yeah, and, and she, it. well, she owns it now because we have to yeah. even tell people who her husband was. <laughs> yeah, I just I don't I don't want people to like you know think we were doing like a, a data white joke type thing. No, dude, he. He opened up a gym down here in Houston. Like he opened up a shooter box team cyborg down here. So I saw him at local shows in like 2017, 2018, all the time, just full on still got the dent in his forehead from Michael Venom page. Yeah. Uh, nicest guy. English is a struggle for him. Uh, I mean, for all it's I so, know, it's for, so funny. For all, yeah. For all I know, his English was great before, like uh, before page lanced him with that. <laughs> oh, <eight>. oh man. Ah. <laughs> uh. Up next on the UFC 291 prelims, we have a welterweight matchup between Matthew Semmelsberger and Uros Medic. Semmelsberger, the 30-year-old Maryland native, is 11-5 overall. He is 5-3 in the UFC. Uh, he did lose his last time out, dropped a split decision to Jeremiah Wells at the Pavlovich versus Blades fight night back in April. Uh, prior to that, he fought last December, winning a unanimous decision over Jake Matthews, who appears a little further up this card. So uh, he's looking to get back in the win column. He was scheduled to take on Johan Lainess, but uh, Lainess withdrew, I believe, due to injury and in steps Medic. The 30-year-old Serbian by way of Alaska, now by way of Los Angeles, is 8-1 and one overall. He is 2-1 since joining the UFC out of the fourth season of Dana White's Contender Series. Uh, he appeared most recently back in May at UFC Fight Night Home versus Vieira, where he knocked out Omar Morales late in the second round. So uh, he steps in on short notice here, steps in up a weight class, which if you've ever seen the guy, might be the best weight class for him anyway, as he was an absolutely massive uh, lightweight. And Medic is the slight to moderate underdog here. Uh, Semmelsberger is out there around minus 180 as the favorite. Medic coming back around plus 150. Uh, 
Keith, we have previewed all three of Uros Medic's uh, UFC fights together. This now his fourth. Uh, he has moved from Anchorage BJJ to Kings MMA. That might be a good move for him in terms of instruction, in terms of availability of training partners, in terms of proximity to places like Las Vegas so he can step up on short notice more conveniently. But I will tell you this, if we pick against Orosh Medic, I don't think Rafael Cordero is going to be sending us DMs like putting us on blast for it, like uh, like the guys at Anchorage BJJ had their boys back. Um, nah, in fairness, the guy, like, nah, he was cool. The, be the best was... I forget what the fight was, but I picked him to win. You picked him to lose, and the guy was messing like, and I'm like, yeah, I, I picked him to win. And he was getting all mad. I'm like, no, I picked him to win. He's like, yeah, but Ben did. I go, then why are you messaging me? Go message Ben. <laughs> it's not like I'm hard to find. My name is harder to spell than yours. Yeah, and of the two of us, I'm the one that's all over the Sherdog front page, and I'm the one who's more active on Twitter. I don't know why they went for you. But uh, at, at any Easy rate. Target. Easy target. Yeah, he's <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not. I don't. I don't debate as much as Ben does. That's oh, it. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Keith, the peacemaker, chilling. Uh, who you got in this one? And uh, how do you how do you think this one plays out? Uh, I know who I got. I got the winning Rhode Island softball team took down Massachusetts. Where to go? Oh that yeah. Way. And all those girls. Where to go? Anyway, stuck at Massachusetts. Yeah. Um, all right. Back to uh, back to this fight. Uh, I'm surprised this fight isn't higher up the card. I I, I think it's gonna be a fun fight. Uh, Salmusberger, the way I describe him, he's he's more of an athlete than a fighter. Yep. And I don't mean that as an insult. No. He's 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 the guy. When oh, I think of an athlete, that's one of the first. An, guys an athlete can become a fighter. A fighter can't become more of an athlete. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's 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 a perfect point. Um, he's very fast, quick twitch athlete. He's a boxer. The uh, classic high guard defense, quick hands. Has a nice slip and rip style. He works the body well. He's got massive power. I mean, you go back to like his fights against Jason Witt, knocked him like crazy knockout. Martin Sano, even like Jeremiah Wells, a fight that he lost, like he hurt Wells, dropped Wells, a good fighter who's on a nice run in the UFC, dropped him a couple times. Uh, he will look for single strikes and he can look for the KO punch a, a little too much. Uh, I go back to, you know, his worst showing, which against Alex Morano, he was, he was looking for it. Um, trying to starch Morano, and then Morano was just able to telegraph his shots, beat him to the punch, uh, take over, especially as Summersberger got tired down. Uh, he he will avoid strikes by backing stretch up, which is not a good thing. Uh, he's an okay offensive wrestler, but he's a pretty weak defense wrestler. I mean, like his last fight, Jeremy Morales took him down a bunch of times. Uh, he also struggles to get up the bottom, and he really shows no urgency. Like his fight against Wells, I, I know I sound like broken record, but you know, he he – Shows no urgency to get back up. Now he needs to improve his top control. He 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 struggled to keep Carlton minus down going back going back quite a ways, and because of he's such fast throws hard, he he has slowed down in the past. Uh, Medish, uh, he's a southpaw. He's a massive welterweight, long and lengthy. Not the greatest athlete. He he isn't very orthodox. He he is a kickboxer that tends to fight a lot like Alexander Slamenko. Uh, he loves his spinning attacks. He's very aggressive. This guy comes out the corner like like a man possessed. Uh, he was battering Alon Cruz before after this before before Cruz even knew the fight started. You know? Yeah. Uh, the problem is that it's actually been against him. You know when he just went after Jalen Turner, Jalen Turner tagged him up. Mm -hmm. uh, Medish is he's accurate and aggressive, but I want to point out to his last fight though he really showed some control and patience uh, against Omar Morales. 
looked pretty good. Kip Morales at the end of punch. He's got a stoppage over against a tough guy. Uh, he has plus power. Uh, he loves to push kicks to, to force his opponents on the back foot. Uh, his kicks are dangerous too. Like I'm mean, going back a while, but like the Mikey Rose fight, he you know he crushed him with a body kick. Uh, for a long guy, he likes to play that Tim Means, where he gets, you know, he throws long strikes from range, follows it into the clinch. Uh, not much of an offense wrestler. His defensive wrestling is 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 really poor. I mean, he struggles when he's taken on the, taken down. Uh, he does have a good submission game off his back, and, and he like he's kind of a leg specialist. Goes for knee bars, heel hooks, but it, it, you know, this far in his career, it's the big question mark is his gas tank because he either finishes quickly or gets finished quickly. So. Uh, again, I think this is a really fun fight. I like both guys, just their raw tools. You know, I, I do think both have glaring weak, you know, holes and weaknesses, but I also think they have a lot of upside if they can fix those weaknesses. I didn't know that um, Medish made a change. I think I think that's a fantastic thing. So that kind of um, not, not 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 trying to dis no. you know, his old team, just <clears throat> I really respect his new team. You know, yeah. um, I didn't know that ahead. Which makes my I'm gonna take Selma's burger, which makes my pick of Selma's burger like I'm I wasn't that confident in the pick to begin with, and now I'm even less confident. But I'm gonna go with Selma's burger just because I've seen his mass bar. I've seen him drop a guy like Jeremiah Wells, who's really good multiple times. Uh Maddish would be smart if he closed the distance and, and turns into a wrestling match. But I, I think we can have some really fun exchanges. I'm just I'm I'm trusting Selma's burger power. I see Selma's burger catches him, catches his chin. Give me Salzburger. I'm going to see it in the very, very first round. First round knockout for Salzburger. All right. I, I like a lot of uh, what you put out there. Both these guys have glaring weaknesses, and they have the kind of glaring weaknesses that are going to form a hard ceiling in the 175 and 170 pound division. Like if, if Medich stays here, uh, if, if your defensive wrestling is not on point, you're going to have a hard time once you break into the top 15 at welterweight. If your gas tank is a known problem, like as Semmelsberg as it is for Semmelsberger, or it's a question mark like it is for Medich, who's only been past the midpoint of a three-round fight once in his entire career. He's only been into a second round twice in his career. This is his 10th fight, and he's only been to the second round twice. Uh, that's going to be a problem because at welterweight, just about everybody, just about every decent welterweight has a good gas tank and can fight at a high pace for three rounds. And once you break into the top 15, there are a lot of really good wrestlers there. Having said that, these are both guys that, I mean, Semmelsberger is 30, but he he has still a, a bit of a prospect feel to me. It feels like his game is still kind of coming together. And Medich, uh, you know, as well, he's 30, but he's only going into his 10th fight here, considering that he only has about 18 minutes of total cage time in his career. He doesn't have that much tread off the tires. He's, you know, he's not exactly Robbie Lawler out there at age 30. Uh, both these guys could continue improving for a while. So, uh, whoever takes a step back here, you know, it's not like the book is written on them, uh, as far as upside, but yeah, I, I lean Semmelsberger for the same reasons, uh, you do, you know, they're both going to be about the same size. Semmelsberger is the better athlete of the two. He's the one who's more proven late into fights. And he's the one who had been training for a fight this weekend for the last few months, whereas Medich is the one stepping up on, on shorter notice. So give me Semmelsberger to win a decision here. And I could see Medich definitely having him in trouble, especially if Medich gets him down 
anytime in the first two rounds. I could see him like having Semmelsberger in some trouble where Semmelsberger is just too willing to play off his back and Medich is winning rounds and maybe even doing damage and putting him in peril uh, from top position. But yeah, give me Semmelsberger to hang on, win two rounds out of three here in a pretty fun fight. We head now to the men's flyweight division and a matchup between CJ Vergara and Venecia Salvador. Vergara, the 32-year-old San Antonio native, is 11-4-1 overall. He is an even 2-2 two two since joining the UFC out of the fifth season of Dana White's Contender Series and as a former champ in Fury FC. Uh, he is coming in off a win. He knocked out Daniel De Silva late in the second round at uh, UFC on ESPN Vera versus Sandhagen back in March. Prior to that, uh, he got run over by Tatsuro Taira last uh, October at the Grasso versus Araujo fight night. So he's looking to make it two in a row here against Salvador. 26-year-old Brazilian is 14-5 and five overall. He is 0-1 since joining the UFC out of the sixth season of Dana White's Contender Series. Uh, he won on the Contender Series last August, made his UFC debut in March at the same Vera versus Sandhagen card, where he came out on the wrong side of a unanimous decision against Victor Altamirano. So uh, he'll be making his uh, second shot at a first win in the UFC, once again facing a Texan, once again the slight underdog as Vergara is minus 170, Salvador plus 140. Uh, on the comeback. Uh, Keith, I feel like CJ Vergara uh, is kind of a, a known quantity, especially for a guy that only has four fights in the UFC. Uh, we've kind of seen his, you know, uh, his upper limit. Uh, how do you feel about Salvador as a prospect? Uh, younger guy, Brazilian. Uh, uh, nope. 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 Not, not, all right. <laughs> I, yeah, he's got raw tools, um, but he is. Yeah, I'll start with him, I guess. Yeah. So he's a southpaw and he's he's a massive featherweight. Like he's huge. I'm sorry, uh, yeah, flyweight. featherweight, right? Yeah. Flyweight, sorry, yeah. flyweight, yeah. Um he's a very he's a strong athlete. He like he moves well, he's explosive, but he is the wildest fighter on the the entire roster. Uh he, he drops his hands and just throws power shots. Everything. Just loads up, wings everything. He's so unorthodox. And it's not that he just throws wild hooks, it's it's not looping. It's like the ugliest punch I've ever seen. It, it, it almost looks like he's like trying to draw a circle, <laughs> and he's you know, <laughs> or like like his his punches are like a like a hula. You know what it looks like? Do you have a Karate Kid two, where they like the big like throw both punches at the same time? Yeah, like things. the little drum thing. The tuk, 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 and yeah, yeah. Like yeah. somehow that was some magic, like, <laughs> but they with the like the karate ending the karate. Kid one was so dope with the like, you know, whatever that crane, crane tech, yeah. But uh, they couldn't think of anything, so they're like, Oh, uh, what if we just uh throw a punch? Like, I remember being, I don't know, six years old and still even thinking that was lame, like loving the movie. And then I'm like, Yeah, but the ending was so lame, <laughs> you know, as yeah. I as, as I went back to like watching He Man, um, <laughs> like the dude never throws anything straight, never jabs. Um, all hooks. Never, never like he goes like other power shots. He never throws an uppercut. He telegraphs everything. Uh, I I will say because it's so weird, he does wrap his punches around his opponent's guard pretty well. If, if you you can't you you know you kind of slip or duck with him, you don't want to like uh, turtle. Uh, but and I also like he that he will throw the wild hook that'll go to the body. That he he has power. I mean he crushes. It. I mean he's a flyweight with thirteen knockouts. Uh, you go back to like the Shannon Ross fight. He dropped him twice before knocking him out. I mean, he really drops everybody. Uh, 
he does these stupid capoeira style kicks that really don't work for him. He'll, he'll throw some stepping knees. He'll throw a flying knee. Uh, but striking defense just doesn't exist. He 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 stands in you know in front of himself throwing wild shots and just leaves himself open. He also does this Anderson Silva back against the fence and try to dodge punches. And last time I previewed him, I, I mentioned that and I said this. I'm gonna say it again. He is an Anderson Silva. This <laughs> is a reason why only uh, reason why not many people do that. Because not many people are, uh, I don't know, top five greatest fighters ever, greatest middleweight, whatever, you know, whatever, whatever you want to rank Anderson Silva. Uh, he will, he will work in the clinch, uh, though he doesn't wrestle much. He has a weak t- takedown defense. He struggles to get off the bottom, and he slowed down in fights because all he's doing is throwing big, huge wild haymakers. Now, uh, CJ Vicar, he's he's a pressure fighter that tends to fight out of both stances. He has a pretty good output. Uh, he, I would say, he's a minus athlete but he makes up for it just by being like a really tough guy he marches forwards he gets to the pocket and he unloads shots uh, he also telegraphs his shots he throws hard kicks i like that uh he can battle in the clinch a little bit he should have great clinch striking by dropping bruno correa uh, with a knee in the body back in the day uh due to his aggressive style he does eat a lot of punches and he's been rocked a lot and like even low level guys like a jared silva jacob silva excuse me uh hurt him uh, he was hurt by Daniel Lacerda in his last fight, but he recovered that, which was impressive. Now, he's not a very good offensive wrestler. He hardly ever wrestles, and he he isn't a sub-threat at all. Like I don't, I don't think he has a submission win in his career. Uh, he also has weak defense, like takedown defense. He was quickly subbed by uh, Tetsuya Tyra, which, I mean, that's, that's all right. But I think his biggest strength is his cardio and his heart. I mean, he won't stop coming. I mean, we saw that in his last fight, his ability to recover. I, no, I'm sorry. No, no. I was. I almost want to make two predictions for this fight. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, if the fight ends in the first round, okay, Salvador caught him with one of those hula hoop punches and, and knocked him out. It, if Regar can weather an early storm, I think he can kind of start taking over with the volume, pressure. I don't trust Vergara's chin, so I kind of want to take Salvador. But I absolutely like can't believe in Salvador's win due to that style. Uh, I like that he goes to the body. I, I hope he learns from his last fight to clean things up. And if he does, again, he's at the age. That's the thing we're talking about. Power. He's not even at like the his peak power years yet. Yeah. But if he can clean up his technique, he can win. But I'm going to take a like wait and see approach. Uh, I'm going to go with Vergara. I'm going to say he. It's going to be a really close fight. But I'm going to say. Salvador slows down and gas a little bit. Vergara picks up the pace. Uh, I think he gets hurt a couple times, but he weathers storms, maybe lands some hard shots himself. I'll see if Vergara wins my split decision with like zero confidence in my book. Uh, that said, I'm not that high on either guy, but the fight is going to be bonkers. Like it's going to be great. <laughs> so don't miss that. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, I feel all of that. Salvador is a guy that. It's hard to believe this guy has been training, you know, at team Marcelo Hibas with, you know, Mar- Amanda Hibas's dad for most of his career because uh, he is he is one of a kind in terms of approach. I didn't really think of him as maybe the wildest fighter period in the UFC until you said it. I was just like, I, I thought, man, he has just some of the most abandoned striking, but no, he he probably is just the wildest fighter in the whole UFC. Uh, I agree with you that neither of these guys uh, is top level stuff in the promotion. Just 
Vergara has physical limitations. It's it's tough to be a it's tough to be a slow guy in the men's flyweight division. And Vergara, by the standards of flyweight, is slow. <clears throat> but he, generally speaking, has fought to his best advantage against his opponents. I, I mean, against Tyra, I don't think he wanted to go to the ground. Just Tyra is a better fighter. Um, I I do like that. You know, he managed to survive against Clages and Rodriguez, who is another guy who hits hard for that division. It makes me think that maybe he could weather one or two of uh, Salvador's ridiculous bolo punches uh, if it came to it. Uh, Vergara, I, I favor him as the fight goes along. Salvador's wild style and what is clearly a large uh, weight cut make me not want to trust the the round three version of Venecia Salvador. So I, I'm with you here. I don't have a whole lot of confidence in it because if Salvador catches him with one of those ridiculous bolo punches and this thing's over in 90 seconds, I won't be that shocked. But give me Vergara to survive maybe a scare or two early, hang on uh, for a decision. And I agree with you that this should be one hell of a fun fight for however long it lasts. We head now to the welterweight division and a scrap between Jake Matthews and the debuting Darius Flowers. Matthews, the 28-year-old Australian, is 18-6 and six overall. He is 11-6 and six in the UFC. Uh, he has alternated wins and losses in his last four fights, uh, but he is coming in off of a loss. He faced Matthew Semmelsberger at the Cannoneer versus Strickland fight night back in December, dropping a unanimous decision, so he's looking to get back in the win column here. Uh, he had been scheduled to take on Miguel Baeza, Baeza dropped off the card uh, a week or two ago, and in steps uh, Flowers. 28-year-old Iowa native is 12-5-1 overall. He competed on uh, Dana White's Contender Series last August, getting an injury tap-out finish against Amaran Gogoladze in like a minute with kind of a weird slam that uh, separated Gogoladze's shoulder. Uh, that was enough to get him signed. All the winners on that episode were signed. That's the one that gave us like, you know, Cameron Simon and stuff. But uh, here he finally makes his debut. It's on short notice and he is definitely the underdog. Matthews comes in at minus 300 here. Flowers at plus 250. Uh, Darius Flowers just isn't that good. Uh, I mean, looking back at his his footage in LFA, King of the Cage, he's had middling results against middling fighters yeah. in a couple of weight class. I mean, this guy has losses to like, you know, Bobby Valker and Joe Vettipo on like just their absolute last legs. Both of those, I believe, were up at 185 pounds. Uh, here, he's going to, it looks like he's fighting at 170, which is probably the best weight class for him because he is a short, compact, muscular guy. I mean, in general dimensions, he is on that same tip as like uh, Joaquin Buckley, but he has really none of Buckley's explosion or coordination or, or fast twitch athleticism. He's a short, compact, powerful guy who does come. I mean, he does come forward and swing hard. I, I mean, he gets, he's gotten plenty of knockouts on the regional scene that way, uh, but he's not a good defensive wrestler. He's not, uh, he doesn't have good striking defense. He's been caught, uh, you know, clean by a lot of his opponents, including some people that are by no stretch of the imagination, Jake Matthews. And honestly, a fair play to him. Like his win on the contender series, 
Other guy was injured. He tapped out. But that was a one in a million finish. And Gogoladze wasn't that great a fighter either. He just got this weird slam that was almost like it started out as a pile driver. Like they landed in like north-south position, but Gogoladze's arm came out of the socket and the thing was over before we could learn anything about either guy, really. Uh, even if Matthews has disappointed somewhat from his former prospect status as one of the youngest guys in the UFC, uh, he's just a hell of a lot more fighter than, than Flowers is. Uh, the problem with Matthews is, I mean, he's still just 28 years old, so I don't want to be premature in calling him, uh, you know, he is what he is. He's just another guy. But this is a guy that was calling out Sage Northcutt when they were the two youngest fighters in the UFC. And Matthews is still the fight, same fighter he was then. He is an above-average athlete who's pretty strong for 170. He's a good wrestler and good topside grappler who has good power in his punches. But... Uh, his his striking game hasn't grown that much more sophisticated over the last few years. Uh, you can draw a pretty straight line between his wins and losses. Uh, people that are big and strong enough and can stand up to him and can fight off his takedowns or get to the ground on their terms beat him. John Brady, Matthew Semmelsberger, the other people he fares pretty well against. Uh, that's that's kind of the pattern Matthews has settled into here. Uh, the Baeza fight would have been a lot more interesting, but here. Whether they bump this up to 185 or they do make Flowers cut all the way to 170, I think Matthews is just way better than him. Uh, Flowers would have to get a takedown, which seems unlikely, or you'd have to catch Matthews, a taller, faster guy with better reach and probably better striking fundamentals. He'd have to clock him with something big. Neither of those sounds really likely to me. On top of everything else, Matthews is the one who's been training for this fight for months, whereas Flowers is stepping in on short notice. So as the fight goes along, I would expect Matthews to be the one that starts rolling downhill. So I think this is probably a wipeout. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if Matthews comes in a little cautious because he doesn't want to be the guy that just got lamped by a late notice opponent. But even if Matthews takes it easy to the point where he loses the first round, I think he's going to overwhelm Flowers eventually. Uh he'll he'll be hitting him harder on the feet he can take flowers down i think and i don't know if flowers can take him down so give me matthews to get a third round tko here out of just accumulated damage and wearing down on an inferior fighter yeah um matthews he's a solid athlete who he looks great in in some fights, but then mediocre at others, and and I think that has a lot to what do what you're saying with. Uh, I I I used to call him a one dimensional fighter, but I th I think his striking has come along a lot since when he first debuted. Though I definitely wouldn't call him a striker. Uh, he he tends to counter strike. He likes to slip a rip. His counter right hand is his best strike. Uh, he can get a little loopy with the shots, a little wide, uh, decent power, and and still at the age where he, he could be improving his power. He he moves well because of athleticism, and but he can be low output at times, uh, and also head hunting. But all his striking is really to set up his wrestling. I, I like his wrestling. I think he's a good wrestler, good entries, strong top game, hard ground and pound. Um, looks to advance position on the ground. He has a submission threat. He has sub seven subs on his record, so um, that's what he does best. Now Flowers, yeah, um, not a guy that you know you get super excited to see making his UFC debut. Some things I like. I mean, he's he's got a lot of experience, so that, that's good. Like, he's, I don't think the moment's gonna be too much for him. Um, 
he well <laughs> i i think the level will be too much for him i don't know if it's you know the the nerves will be too much for him he, he's he's not a great athlete he tends to be flat-footed he drops his hands but i'll say this and this is the one thing you mentioned it like the way matthews loses is he gets lamped this dude hits hard like i'll give him that like he's a brawler he wants to get in his opponent's face and he wants to land power shots uh, he also throws a lot of kicks he will look for a takedown but he's not a wrestler but he's very strong so if he can he if he gets a takedown, he just overpowers guys by like grabbing a leg and sending them. But he's a very weak defensive wrestler. He struggles off the off the bottom. He really needs to improve his submission defense. He's got a couple uh, losses by submission. Flowers has power, but that's pretty much it. I, I just I don't see him much. You know, when I think of UFC caliber guys, he, he, he's not there. I think this is the perfect rebound belt for Matthews. I think this is great, good stylistic matchup. On top of it, I see Matthews just. Take him down, dominate the ground, and I think Matthews will find a submission. I'll say he does in the second round. Middleweights take the cage next as Roman Kopolov faces off against Claudio Hibero. Kopolov, the 32-year-old Russian, is 10-2 and overall. He is 2-2 and since joining the UFC out of Fight Nights Global. Uh, he lost his first two fights in the UFC. Uh, and since then has won two straight. Uh, he's coming in off of back-to-back wins over Alessio de Chirico and Puna Soriano. The most recent of those, the Soriano fight, was a second-round TKO at the Strickland versus Imavov fight night in January. So he's looking to make it three in a row, uh, securing not only his continued spot on the roster, but maybe, you know, starting to make himself a force to be reckoned with in the division and opposing him in that endeavor will be Hibero. 31-year-old Brazilian is 11-3 and three overall. He is 1-1 one and one since joining the UFC out of uh, the 2022 season of Dana White's Contender Series. He lost his first uh, fight in the UFC, got knocked out early in the second round by Abdul Razak Al-Hassan, then came back in May at UFC 288 and knocked out Joseph Holmes in the second round. Uh, odds here favor the Russian pretty strongly. He's minus 240 or so. Hibero plus 200 as your underdog. Keith, for as much as he made jokes that the MMA fan base kind of picked up about being Ben Askren's illegitimate son, more than anything, Chase Hooper looks like Roman Kopolov's little brother. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, does Kopolov have anything in the bag other than uh, photo memes to, to be made? Pictures <laughs> <laughs> pictures of him and yeah. him. And, uh, that's funny. Uh, yeah, I mean, a couple of, he's a Southpaw who's really big for the weight class. He's a, he's a good athlete. He, uh, I love his movement and his understanding of range. Very good at getting in and landing and getting out. Go back to his last fight. He looked really sharp in that fight. Fast hands, crisp jab, follow-up pistons coming on the pipe, mean body kicks, uh, threw a lot of them. Uh, he stopped Puto Soriano with body kicks. You know, the, the, the Carl Robinson fight has always been like one that kind of makes me like lower my expectations of Kabbalah, like not as high on him because, you know, that's just a bad loss. I mean, Carl Robertson had a lot of success kicking him, you know, the feet. He also, you know, subbed him, which, which is not a good look. And it was, it was in Russia. It was like, in Russia. Yeah. yeah. That's Come another on. good, that's a very good point. Kabbalah, <laughs> uh, he's underrated wrestler. Uh, which is surprising, you know, someone from that area to call him under wrist, but he's he can wrestle, uh, though he doesn't look for it often. He's but he's got nice entries. He isn't a submission threat, and he's hard to get down. But again, 
Carl Robertson subbed him. But I, I, I'm starting to think that was an outlier. Uh, the other concern I have is, is despite having a third-round stoppage against Alessio Tichero, he was kind of slowing down in the fight, a fight that he was winning fairly easily. Hebero, uh, he, he, he's not the best athlete. He's, he's tend to be flat-footed. But he's a good counter-striker, and he counter-strikes lead to power shots. He likes to brawl. His, his straight right is a good punch. His check left hook is also a good one, though he tends to throw a lot of looping shots. He also loads up, which makes it easier you know, to counter and to see it coming. Though I think his, he's best when he's the one pressing the action uh, instead of countering. He hits hard. He's got 11 knockouts, I think eight of them in the first round. Uh, he also has the power to land him on backing up, which is a rare thing. He has a lot of defensive holes, though. He keeps his chin high in the air. He pulls his head straight back. He drops his hands. He's been hurt a lot. Or I shouldn't say hurt. He's been cracked a lot, uh, buckled. But I'll give him credit. He keeps coming. Um, other than the, the Al Hassan fight when Al Hassan smashed him. But he's got mean calf kicks, though he tends to throw some naked kicks. He hardly ever wrestles. But to his credit, he wrestled a lot against Joseph Holmes. Uh, and he's looked like he's been improving his his ground game. He, he's got solid takedown defense, hard to take down. And he's gone 25 minutes in the past and showed he's got really good cardio. Uh, Hibero is, I'd say, has looked good lately. I think he's been better than I originally thought. That said, I think Koffel looks so impressive in his last fight. He looks so crisp. I say he keeps the range, works behind a jab, works the body, particularly with those body kicks. I say Hibero... Bodily, body fails him. Maybe I'll say the second round. Cough up by second round TKO. Yeah, I, I kind of wrote off couple of like he looked so bad in Same. the Robertson fight, and then he had an almost two year layoff. Partly because I mean he did have like an injury, but partly just because uh, he had visa issues. He was kind of stuck out of the UFC for the entire that entire first year of COVID in 2020, but. At this point, he's 32 years old. He's had four fights in almost five years since being signed by the UFC. Uh, and But I'm like you. I'm surprised because he's looking sharper than he ever has before. Uh, and against decent competition, like Alessio DiCarico is whatever, but Puno Soriano is still a, a decent win. And he took Soriano's best shot, and Soriano couldn't take his. Uh, like, And at middleweight at 32 he's still got room you know like he's still got a couple of years that he could continue to improve so he's been a pleasant surprise in the last few years uh he better frankly kind of a pleasant surprise as well i didn't expect that much out of him even coming out of the contender series just uh it is it is one of the big flaws of the contender series that well, now they sign everybody. That that's a flaw in itself. But for a long time, they would sign anybody who got just a quick sensational knockout, and sometimes wouldn't sign people who were clearly more complete fighters just because they didn't happen to get a finish. Like your obvious example was always Brendan Lofton. But uh, you know, he got a super quick knockout over a not very good regional fighter on the contender series. Then Abdul Razak Al Hassan plunked him, uh, but he looked good against Holmes, and he. For the reason you mentioned, he looked good, not just getting a super quick knockout, but showing some variety in his game, being unafraid to take down Holmes, where, you know, Holmes poses the biggest threat to his opponents on the ground. Like, he's a he's a submission artist, and uh, Hibeto had no real fear there. And, uh, yeah, so both these guys have kind of outperformed where I'd expect them to be right now. 
either one of them is still a couple wins away from even being within a whisper of the rankings. But if either of these guys is ranked two years from now, I think it's definitely Kopalov. He seems to be improving from fight to fight. He's coming into his own here. And and I'm with you. I think he outclasses Hibero. Uh, like if he could get in the kind of fight he did with Puna Soriano and come out on the better end of it, I think he can do the same against Hibero. So my pick's exactly the same as yours here. Uh, Kopalov knocks out Hibero in the second round of a fight that's fun for as long as it lasts. Next up, we have the only heavyweight fight on the card, unless uh, Alex Pereira really screws the pooch uh, during fight week, as it is Derek Lewis versus Marcos Rogerio de Lima. Lewis, the 38-year-old Houstonian, is 26-11 and 11 with one no contest overall. He is 17-9 and nine in the UFC. He is, uh, after years spent as a long-time fringe contender, then a straight-up contender, then an interim title contestant. Uh, he is finally on a three-fight losing streak and has lost four of his last five. Uh, competitively, the big man is in free fall. He fought most recently back in February in the headliner of UFC Fight Night 218, where he got, frankly, thrown all over the place by Sergey Spivak on his way to a, a submission loss late in the first round. Uh, prior to that, he had... First round TKO loss to Sergey Pavlovich and a second round KO loss to Tai Tuivasa. So uh, Lewis, again, uh, very much up against the the ropes here, looking not to lose four in a row. And uh, he will be facing DeLima. The 38-year-old Brazilian is 21-8-1 overall. He is 10-6 and six in the UFC. Uh, that is 10-6 overall, 6-3 and three since moving up to heavyweight. Uh, hard as it is to believe when you look at the man now, he did start in the UFC as a uh, light heavyweight with a six-pack. He is now a heavyweight with a keg. But nonetheless, he's won four of his last five. Uh, so he's doing something right. And he is coming in here on the back of back-to-back -back wins over Andre Arlovsky and Waldo Cortez Acosta. The most recent of those, the Cortez Acosta fight was in April at the Song versus Simone uh, UFC on ESPN card. So he's looking to make it three in a row and looking to be yet one more guy to kind of pass Lewis on the escalator going up as Lewis continues to descend. And he is favored to do so. DeLima, minus 170, Lewis plus 140. Uh, I believe that is the first time Lewis has been an underdog to an unranked fighter in uh, approximately a million years. Uh, so Derek Lewis is, is a busy fighter on top of everything else. Like you and I, I think have previewed six or seven Derek, Derek Lewis fights. Yeah. Uh, and for the first four or five of them, my notes didn't change win or lose. Lewis was Lewis. And there weren't a whole lot of surprises. Uh, I've had to re revise my notes recently, obviously, uh, Same. because all of a sudden, it's not just that he's lost three fights in a row. He is losing the kind of fights that he used to win. Uh, you know, Tai Tuivasa, coming into that fight where you know his best and probably only route to victory is to win a phone booth fight against Derek Lewis. That used to be the kind of fight that Derek Lewis would routinely come out on the right end of. Yeah. Against, uh, I mean, Pavlovich is just a better fighter than Lewis, maybe a better fighter than Lewis at any time in their respective careers, but especially as he was maybe the hottest up and comer in the UFC last summer and Lewis was already falling apart. But then against Spivak, again, if you're a guy that's 
20 pounds smaller than Lewis and your only hope of winning is to take him down and hold him down for three rounds. That was a guy kind of guy that Lewis routinely would just, you know, send to the astral plane and instead Spivak threw him all over the place. I mean, we're talking like belly to back suplex mat (laughs) returns. And my biggest problem is that Lewis looked broken by the end of that fight. Lewis looked like he did not want to be there anymore. And that had really not been the case, even in his losses for the bulk of his career. I mean, he could be knocked out. He could be tapped out. But against Spivak, he just looked like, I don't have any other ideas. I don't want to be here. Yo, get me out of here. That's concerning because otherwise, at 38, Lewis, arguably near his prime by heavyweight standards, but if he's checked out on top of, you know, probably the erosion of his reflexes, which have always been underrated and his chin, which is, was for a long time, one of the greatest we've ever seen, then he's going to be fair game for a lot of people in the heavyweight division. Having said that, Delima, uh, Delima is a good test of whether Derek Lewis needs to be fighting at, at all anymore, because he is, a dangerous fighter, but he is a limited enough fighter that if Lewis is any semblance of what he was three or four years ago, and if he has any interest in continuing to be competitive, he's the kind of guy that Lewis should be able to handle. Uh, you know, Delima is a massive heavyweight. He hits very hard. If, I mean, if we get a good version of Lewis, then I think his biggest problem against Delima is that Delima has great leg kicks and Lewis has never been real good about respecting or, or checking them. You know, Lewis would much rather try to deal with leg kicks by countering them with punches and just making people scared to throw them anymore than actually checking the leg kicks. Uh, so if, if Delima just starts sawing away at Lewis's legs, kind of like surreal gone did like gone used leg kicks and just really made Lewis afraid to enter pampered his movement just made his life miserable if delima can do that lewis is gonna have serious problems uh delima is a very hard puncher but again lewis has faced very hard punchers over and over again throughout his career and he's always until recently had the thing that i'm probably going to talk about again when we get to talking about dustin poirier later on this card where in the phone booth when you know stuff really starts flying he's always had really underrated reflexes where he just will roll with a punch just enough that he is shrugging off the worst of what his opponent is throwing. And he's coming back with stuff that they're not rolling uh, off and they go down and he stays up. Having said that, I just, I don't know what kind of state Lewis is in competitively. Uh, I, I don't, and I don't have any special insights on that. Like when we talk about, Trevin Giles or Alex Morono or, uh, you know, Ricky Tercios, uh, you know, like I, I will sometimes have a little idea in the back of my mind of, of how things are, are going for them in training with, with Lewis. I really don't like, you know, he and uh, he and Bob Perez just are, you know, a, a very tightly closed uh, unit. I don't know. So it's hard for me to pick Lewis in this fight. Uh, he, he has all the tools to handle someone as limited as Delima. Delima is a guy who's not likely to try to exploit Lewis's ground game. And if he does, I mean, 
Lewis could probably sweep him, get on top, and Delima's going to be toast because Delima's uh, defensive grappling is still as, as bad as there is in that division. But it's hard for me to pick that. Uh, give me Delima here to just kind of uh, just kind of wear down and and break down a disinterested Lewis. I expect Delima to throw kicks to the legs that have effect. Maybe start mixing in kicks to the body. Uh, once Lewis is hesitating, once Lewis is hurt, maybe Delima starts getting the better of the of the uh, exchanges in close quarters as well. And given how things have gone for Lewis once they started going downhill, give me Delima to get a second round TKO here. Like it breaks my heart to say it, but uh, one of my just kind of reliably favorite fighters. Houston's most beloved uh, seems to be on his last legs. And I think Marco Sagerio de Lima is going to be the one to show just how far he's fallen in the last two years. Yeah. Imagine going back a couple of years ago and saying that Marcos Sagerio de Lima would be almost a two to one favorite against Derek Lewis. Like that would have been shocking, but yeah, here we are in, in 2023. Um, Imagine you telling me two years ago, that I'd be picking Delima to finish Lewis. You <laughs> yeah. know, when I was the guy who was like, dude, Lewis is going to knock Curtis Blades out. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. Um, yeah, so this I've left some things in my notes of Lewis. You know, he's he's huge. Um, you know, I was always worried about his athleticism declining, but I still, I'm assuming he's still pretty athletic. You know, he can throw a high kick. You know, he'll throw a flying knee. Uh, but it's becoming more rare. Uh, we've had issues with him being gun shy in the past. Is that going to be the case now? But he, he he kind of does that. He'll lull you, and then he explodes for something. So uh, he's the biggest cracker in the history of the, the UFC. Like he's got more knockouts than anybody. That, he's that guy. Uh, I've always said that he's been he was more accurate than he gets credit for. Uh, though he he doesn't have to be. He's the, he is the guy that he just has to touch you graze you he's put he's gonna put you out uh, he he lands a knockout blow pretty well because he measures really well uh, i mean that's how he was able to catch curtis Blake. you just mentioned curtis Blake. that's how he was able to catch curtis Blake coming in uh he's always had a better gas tank than he gets credit for because you just see this like big massive guy who you know jokes about like i don't run and this stuff but he's he's always been able to go deep into fights and he, you know he's he's got countless stoppages late in fights. I mean, you think about it. Yep. Uh, like the uh, yeah, I always think about the Volkov fight. He, he is he, again just he is now the UFC's all-time leader in knockouts. But for years before he was the UFC's all-time leader in knockouts, he was the UFC's all-time leader in knockouts in the third round or later. Oh yeah, okay. Yeah. And then even like once the fights, you know, thing like Illa TV, like that was a grueling battle, and he he won it with his cardio. Now he's a terrible defensive wrestler, but he's always pretty good to explode to his feet. Some of that has to be just being tall, but that has been struggling, you know, recently when you mentioned that he was getting slammed around by Sergey Spivak, couldn't get up. Now, if he's on top, we've talked about some of the scariest ground pound. And he used to have a rock hard chin, but he's been knocked out several times listening to Tai Tufas. I mean, that's Sergey Pavlich. He's knocking everybody out, but yeah. You know, Tuvasa, I agree. You take a prime to an Avasa versus a prime Derek Lewis. I'm, I'm, I, I just see Derek Lewis like 
yeah. hiking him in the head. And, and, he's just uh, a better version him. of the same fighter in the respective primes. Yeah, cleaner. Like, like yeah. you don't think he's uh, Derek Lewis technically? He's actually pretty technical. Uh, mm-hmm. Marcos Sajero de Lima. He's also a very huge guy, and he likes to brawl it on the feet. He hits hard. I mean, he has serious power. I mean, he go back to like the Ben Rothwell. He, he knocked him out. He's got some mean leg kicks. He he will get to fight the ground, but he he. I mean, that Alexander Romanov fight where he looked so bad on the ground. Uh, I mean, he got <laughs> we talked about it, he got fat guy choked, but he did sub Andreas Lowski pretty quickly. And, he, and I don't think he showed some cardio against uh, Ivanov, though his last fight, I despite winning, like um, I can't think of who was Cortez Acosta. Cortez Acosta, like that's like you should be getting a stoppage in that fight. But that's what mm-hmm. that's why I'm on the fence. And it really so we kind of we view this fight the same way. Like it comes down to what does Derek Lewis have left. I think he's shot. I do. And I am also worried about his motivation. He wasn't motivated when he was winning. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> you, like, you know, like, he's like a guy who's been top five ranked so long that, like, hardly ever talk about being a champion and stuff like that, you know? Um, so, but I also I keep asking my question like, could a shot Derek Lewis still win? <laughs> I think to me that I, I I think both could be true. Like I think Derek Lewis could be shot, and a shot Derek Lewis could still be better than than Delima. So I I want to take Derek Lewis. I want to take Derek Lewis for a couple of reasons. Like one, my conscience is saying like, come on, like you really got to bet on or or, or, or predict Delima. But also, it's like, just like taking Derek Lewis. Like, he's a fun guy. <laughs> yeah. Know? Like, if I he, wins, get if he wins, they're going to hand him a mic. Yeah. Like, yeah. Get a mic. He's in Utah. I'll say something about Mormons. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, but those light kicks. And I just, for some reason, I just see Derek Lewis, like, plotting around the cage, trying to chase Delima, who's just light kicking him over and over again. And... I think Delima just like kicks him in a pretty like. I think we have like this like both guys not committed to step in the pocket and throw some shots, and we just get Delima winning a decision in like a very like I don't know ho hum type fight that we don't want to watch again. That's my prediction. All right. The top prelim at UFC 291 is once again a Houston versus Brazil matchup as it is the undefeated Gabriel Bonfim taking on Trevin Giles. Bonfim, 25-year-old Brazilian, is a perfect 14-0 as a professional. He's 1-0 since joining the UFC out of uh, the 2022 season of Dana White's Contender Series. He made his debut in January at UFC 283, guillotining Munir Lazez in like 45 seconds. So he's going to look to make it two in a row here, keep his record undefeated, uh, continue to announce himself as maybe a future contender against Giles. 30-year-old Houstonian is 16-4 and overall. He is 7-4 and in the UFC. He is 2-1 and at welterweight. Uh, He is on a two-fight win streak uh, since his... Last loss, which was uh, last January, uh, he fought last September, taking a unanimous decision over Lewis Cosey, then fought in March at the Vera versus Sanhagen card and took a split decision over Preston Parsons. 
So Giles looking to make it three in a row. He is decidedly not favored to do so. Uh, Bonfim, a massive favorite here. He, he is minus 310. Uh, Giles plus 250 coming back. Keith, uh, you and I have talked yeah. a lot about anytime you got a zero and that loss column, mm-hmm. you get a little extra tension, a little extra hype, and yeah. you get a little bit overrated just because it's uh, it's hard to picture something happening that's never happened. Uh Having said that, Bonfim is definitely getting a step up in competition here. You go from uh, Trey Waters, who's a pretty good uh, – I think Trey Waters even made it to the UFC this year, uh, and Munir Lazez. You step from them to Trevin Giles, a guy who's was a borderline contender at middleweight before moving down to, to welterweight. It's going to be a step up in competition. It's, <laughs> Sorry. It's, that, that borderline was pretty wide then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, I mean, does he does he have what it takes to run through Giles like he's been running through everyone else? Yeah, that's a good question. So I, I often, before you say the, and I don't often, actually, I'm going going backwards when I'm saying, I often try to kind of predict what the Vegas Lions are having. Mm-hmm. Um, so oftentimes I'm listening to see how close I have in my head. But sometimes I'm like digging. A lot of times when you see me looking over here, I'm I'm, I'm just jotting some notes and, mm-hmm. and reading over my notes to make sure what I want to say. Uh, but if I remember, I try to look. And I knew Bonfim would be a sizable favorite because the undefeated, because of how spectacular he looked in in his last fight. And I was guessing like little over like negative 205 something like that because of how experienced giles is he's been in the ufc while he's had moments um he's he's a big guy i mean he's he's he used to be a light heavyweight so yeah. uh he's a he's a technical boxer with some some pretty good footwork some quick hands everything comes off his jab uh, uh he i mean go back to like the bavon lewis fight he dropped bump bavon lewis with a jab um Speaking of which, talk, talk about a busted prostate, but Von Lewis was. Yeah. <laughs> They'll call him the next John Jones. But Yeah, that, um, oof, that, that didn't age well. <laughs> he might be John Jones' Uber driver. He's got an up jab that he, he uses. Like Everything comes off of that. But he's, he's a bit of a point fighter. Never really takes out a second gear, uh, which is surprising because he has decent pop when he throws. When he looks to KO, he the problem is he he kind of chases it and he throws single strikes. Uh, defensively, he, he keeps his hands low, which hurts him defensively because helps him def- hurts him defensively because he can't slip and rip, but helps him because it disguises the jab being a little bit low. But he's he's hated being pressured. He wants a, he wants a distant kickboxing match or you know boxing match. Like when Preston Parsons was pressuring, he didn't like that. He he will he's not just a boxer. He will close. The distance, grinding the clinch. He will wrestle. I, his striking really sets up his, I'd say, underrated entries. Like, but wrestling is Plan B. Like that's not his go-to. He's not a great defensive wrestler. Preston Parsons took him down, uh, though he is hard to hold on. A lot of it has to do with just being a, a big dude. Uh, the, though he has been subbed a few times in the past, which is concerning, and he has gassed out in the past. But the real issue with Trevin Giles. Has always been durability. Like he's been knocked out a lot for a guy who's supposed to be a really good striker. Um, is that's concerning? Now Bonfim, he he finishes his guy so quick, so it's 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 really hard to get a strong grasp on him. But he's a really promising kid. Good volume on the feet, quick hands. He's a counter striker who does really good to slip and rip. 
he does have some defense foals. I, I noted that he gets his chin a little too high in the air. He pulls his head straight back. So that's concerning, but I mean, he's got some good striking. I like his left hook. He's, he's a really, he's a ground specialist. He's a mediocre wrestler. Like he's not a power wrestler, but if he gets the fight to the ground, whether it's get creating a scramble, uh, pulling guard, something like that, he's a really good submission threat. He's got 11 subs in his career. I mean, he, he subbed Munai Laziz quick. As soon as when he's, uh, Laziz made a mistake, he jumped right on, um, a guillotine. I mean, he's, he's, he's slick. Now, Trevin Giles, is, 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 as far as I remember, he's he's not a police officer anymore, correct? That is he, correct. Okay. I don't make sure he didn't transfer or anything like that. So I can pick against him. Yes. And, and I'm going to – I actually think Bob Finn might hurt him on the feet, and then he just jumps on some kind of submission. I say Bob Finn catches him. I say he does it in the very first round. Yeah. I I, I get why uh, – Bonefim is a, is the favorite, obviously, and to an extent, I even get why he's as big a favorite a, as he is. But for a guy that is a greater than three to one favorite, his main routes to victory are actually fairly narrow. Like they're like it's pretty easy for me to predict what it looks like if he beats Giles, even if that you know is the likeliest outcome because Giles has a couple of uh, sub losses on his record, but it's not been a case of somebody just like running him over on the ground. Like he lost his at Cummings was a, like a club and sub where Cummings like hurt him bad, jumped on him and, you know, ended up getting the submission, but could easily have just kept punching. And then that goes on Giles's record as, as a TKO loss. And then Mearshart did the Mearshart thing where it was a back and forth fight. He catches Giles in transition, chokes him out w- with a guillotine. That's probably what it looks like if Bonefim beats Giles. Like he either hurts him with something on the feet and follows him down, gets a sub, or we have a back and forth fight and he catches Giles in a moment of inattention and gets that opportunistic, like just snatches the front headlock uh, standing like, uh, like Mearshart did. And those are definitely open avenues to victory. Cause I've said this before Giles, like I agree that like, you know, durability is his problem, but it's even something more specific than that because he's a guy that has all of the tools, especially offensively. And he just has mo he has a couple of bad defensive lapses per fight. And if his opponent is good enough to take advantage of them, he loses and he often loses spectacularly. And if not, he beats most of his opponents. He's a, you know, uh, uh, the Drickus Duplessis one is a, like a pretty good example where he he won the first round against Duplessis and he was doing fine in the second and then just got caught with a single punch that put him on skates and the thing was over. Uh, his losses to Mearshart and Cummings were, were both that way. Uh, Morales, another undefeated uh, prospect, just, you know, zapped him w- with a punch. Uh, if Bonfim beats Giles, that's probably what it looks like. Like, I, I bet Giles looks pretty good for as long as the fight goes. Then Bonfim catches him with something and it's over 10 seconds later. Uh, having said that, this is a substantial step up to me from the people that Bonfim has been beating. And as you pointed out, Bonfim has been beating people for the most part fast. Uh, the the few fights he's had that have gone past the first round, he was in the decidedly in the driver's seat the whole time. Um, and it's your gas tank always looks better when you're the one dictating the pace of the action. You know, my classic go-to example for that is BJ Penn, who always had the reputation of having a terrible gas tank, but his gas tank was fine when he was winning. 
just this gas tank looked <laughs> terrible when someone else put yeah. it on him. Uh, yeah. yeah, that's true. Yeah, good point. Uh, here, it's a massive upset. I'm I'm calling here, but I kind of nice. like Giles in in this one. <laughs> nice. Um, I'm not going to feel comfortable about it until that final horn sounds because Giles is the Death Star. There's always just you know there's somebody just needs to find that exhaust port with one missile and, and Giles blows up. But uh, give me I. I think Giles is uh, at least as clean a striker on the feet. I think he's going to frustrate Bonfim on the feet. I think Bonfim is going to have trouble getting Giles to the ground unless Giles is hurt. So it's basically kind of me watching Giles win rounds and waiting to see if Bonfim can hurt him or if Giles really starts to get tired. Because uh, I, I agree that Giles's gas tank has abandoned him at times, but at the same time, you know, when he beat Roman Delize, it was kind of by being the fresher guy in the third round. So it's not a complete loss. So give me Giles here in the big upset to win a decision over Bonfim. I'm still high on Bonfim as a prospect. I think this will just turn up, turn out to be a little too much too soon for the uh, 25 or 26 year old. The five fight main card of UFC 291 opens up with a high stakes, at least for the people involved, welterweight matchup between Michael Chiesa and Kevin Holland. Chiesa, the 35-year-old Washington State native, is 16-6 and overall. He is 11-6 and in the UFC since joining as the winner of the 15th season of The Ultimate Fighter. Uh, worth noting that he is 11-6 and overall in the UFC. He's 4-2 and since moving up to welterweight. He debuted in the UFC and fought for a long time as a ridiculously dehydrated uh, lightweight before finally moving up to welterweight where he won his first four fights in a row and seemed to be a rising contender in his new division before running into back-to-back -back losses against Vicente Luque and Sean Brady. Uh, equally disturbing as that two-fight losing streak is the fact that it has been uh, over two and a half years since Chiesa was seen in the cage. Uh, his loss to Brady was a unanimous decision all the way back at the Ketlin Vieira versus Misha Tate fight night card in November of 2021. Uh, he's had a lengthy layoff for a couple of uh, a couple of reasons. Unfortunately, the most recent <laughs> his most recent uh, appearance on UFC film was him getting drunk, falling and splitting his head open and being removed from the arena when his longtime teammate Juliana Pena won the women's bantamweight title. Uh, he seems to have recovered from that and he's <laughs> back in the cage here uh against uh, that's fantastic you know, it's, it's absolutely fantastic like <laughs> what if he like doesn't really like her and he just he was like oh god i don't have to hear about this now and he's like all right give me give me some give me some jack and i'm like jack here's a check just knock me out now <laughs> uh um he's gonna look to get back on track uh against holland who uh has a little bit of proving of his own to do 30-year-old Texan is 24-9 and nine with one no contest overall. He is also 11-6 and six in the UFC. Uh, he has one no contest, and he is 3-1 and one, uh, at welterweight, though in his case, it is after moving down from the middleweight division. He's coming in off of a win. He knocked out Santiago Ponzinibbio in the third round at UFC 287 back in April. Prior to that, he had lost back-to-back -back fights against Hamzat Shemaev, though he can hardly be faulted for that as that was the card that was shaken up literally the day before when Shemayev missed weight badly. But then uh, he was also outstruck pretty badly by Steven Thompson last December in the headliner of UFC on ESPN 42. So uh, he has 
uh, one win banked away after those back-to-back losses. He'd like to make it two in a row. He is slightly favored to do so. Holland is minus 150, Kiesa plus 130. Uh, Keith, two guys coming at this uh, fight from opposite directions in terms of weight class. Uh, Both have some kind of interesting mixed momentum going on. Who gets it done here, and what does the fight look like? Yeah, this is... um... This is an interesting one. Um, Holland, you know, he's 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 a tough read. You know, um, <laughs> I don't know if he's just a mediocre fighter or if he's really good. I'm like, I'm, he's he's somewhere in there. <laughs> I just don't know where. He, he's he's a long and lengthy middle. Uh, I, I, I was gonna say middleweight welterweight. He's a long and lengthy middleweight, but he's also a long and lengthy welterweight. Yeah. Uh, he's 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 a great athlete. He's pretty elusive. He's explosive. Uh, he. He tends to drop his hands and throw from his hips, which I don't like. But his hands are quick. He's got some nice, nice jab, a uh, bit of a pop. He's good with some long rangey kicks, and 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 he'll blast like a high kick. He's good at following his kicks to crash the pocket and land shots. Um, I've said this about him before, but he covers distance so quickly due to his length. It's like one step, and he's all the way across the cage. Uh, he uses his size well in the clinch. Uh, I've talked about this too. Like he likes to box the ears, which which hurts a lot when you're in there. Uh, he hits knees in the clinch too, because so how easy it is. His un his wrestling's a little underrated. His offensive wrestling, but his defensive wrestling is so poor. I mean, he takes down. He struggles to get back up. The only time where I was like a little bit impressed was against Shemayev, <laughs> where he was taken down. He kind of scrambled up pretty quick and and. and then try to grab your roll. But then he also was like submitted a little shortly after that. So it's might've been just like one minute. We looked pretty good. He has a submission threat. Uh, you go back to like Tim means he caught him with a beautiful Dars, which is a good, you know, good quality went over quality uh, veteran. who's you know, pretty tough out for anybody, but he, you know, he's been solved by like Shemaya in the past. He, he has a great chin. Like I give him that he's been blasted by some really good strikers. Just keep coming. I mean, look, look at the Stephen Thompson fight. I, I, I think he was hurt in that fight, right? Didn't he get hurt early on? He was, yeah, he was, he was rocked early on, and then. Uh, but then, did he get like an injury? I think. Yeah, he got he suffered an injury or he broke his hand or something. And even so, Steve, like he wasn't like knocked out by Stephen Thompson or anything like that. Um, so. Kiesa, on the other hand, you know, he's he's. I've said this about before, and I want to say it again. He he's a classic overachiever. He's not great at anything, but he found a way in so many fights to get victory. But he looked like he's declining in his last fight. That was two and a half years ago. Like, you know, you mentioned the only time we seen him was getting get, getting drunk and, and, and falling asleep. It's not a good sign. So it's it's really hard to grasp what we're gonna get. I still view him more as a specialist, as you know, he helped me once get to the ground. But his standup has improved. You know, he, it's it's probably a, a little bit of his opponents worrying about getting taken down, so they kind of drop the hands and that's that. And he's a southpaw, and he's got some good output. He, he tries to strike just to move his opponent back towards the cage where he can kind of shoot in, uh, and he has an awkward striking style. He's heavy on his front leg, which leaves him open to the leg kicks. Go back to like the RDA fight. RDA had a lot of success with him kicking the legs. Uh, he he also just kind of wings punches without much technique. When he tries to close the distance, he, you know he he doesn't really like like his his wrestling isn't the greatest. Like it doesn't look like it should work, 
well because he doesn't have these fast entries or anything. But he just he's so good at using his long arms and and in in reaching and get his arms wrapped behind his opponent and he's he's very physical. He's a big welterweight. He's a physically strong guy, and he finds a way to get the fight to the ground. If not, he'll, he'll he also feels very comfortable just being pressed chest to chest in the clinch. Uh, he loves those type of like grueling battles uh, where he can just kind of wear on you, and then when you're not ready, get like a trip takedown. He's good at winning scrambles. He definitely has like a kind of funk style to his game too. And obviously, the reason why he wants to get the fight to the ground is he's a submission threat. I think he's like eleven subs, uh, though he he's not like a he's not a BJJ specialist where you know subbing him is like super special because he's been subbed by Pettis, uh, Kevin Lee, uh, Cynthia Luque. So <laughs> this is a fun matchup it, it, because of the unknown. I, I've This is one of the fights I've been really on the fence. At 35 and on a two-fight streak, you know, you know, losing streak, and not knowing if there's much left in Michael Chiesa, it's really hard to have confidence in making a pick for him. That said, I know he will wrestle, and Holland has struggled against wrestlers. Now, to Holland's defense, they've been really big, stronger guys like a Derek Brunson. He's also willing to battle against the cage, which normally I think is actually suits him well because it helps him stay up when he's getting taken down. But Michael Kess is not the guy you want to battle, you know, in close quarters. It's like he he was able to win a grueling in close quarters battle against Neil Magdy, who, who beats everyone there. So, you know, if Kessa is still the guy that we've seen beat a guy like Neil Magny and Holland hasn't improved that takedown defense, he wins that one. And I'm going to kind of like make a cop out and say, I wouldn't be surprised if Kevin Holland won. And I, I was originally leaning that way before I kind of like thought about these guys and dug in. But I'm going to, I'm going to take a pass on Holland and say, until he shows me he can beat a wrestler, I'm going to keep taking wrestlers against him. So give me, me Michael Kessler. Holland's hard to submit. So I say he makes it all the way. I see Kessler just out wrestles him to a decision. I, I love uh, the breakdown there. You laid out their respective strengths and, and weaknesses really well, I think. Uh, <clears throat> I Obviously, the, the long layoff for Kiesa, and at least the few glimpses I've had of what he's been doing during that time, because uh, on top of, you know, the kind of, in hindsight, hilarious incident at the first uh, Nunez versus Pena fight. He's also been a fixture at the UFC analyst desk, and he's been very good there. Yeah. To the point where I wouldn't have been completely shocked if he just kind of quietly announces retirement. <laughs> yeah. Like I, well, I almost said that. It's funny you said that because I was thinking that. Like I almost said, like, like, wow, he he. I think he was kind of retired. Like like yeah. if you and I did like a year end show or something like last December, and we threw out, you know, I threw out like. Do you think it's more likely that Michael Chiesa fights in 2023 or announces his retirement? I would have been like, yeah, 50 50. Yeah. You know? yeah. I could see him be yeah. doing kind of like the Alan Joban thing and doing, you know what? I've had a good career. I've beaten some good guys. I've had some losses. I've accomplished yeah. what I think I can accomplish. I'm moving on to the next thing. Like, you know, Let Joban. Me ask you that. it's not, it's, it's, it's not often a guy retires on a win. What do you, if he won? He wins, he beats Kevin Hall, and he's still a top, I don't know, 12 ish, 14 ish, well, maybe even higher. 
but it, you see him like he could just retire like in the cage on Saturday, like he wins and, and announces retirement. Honestly, that wouldn't shock me because again, yeah, it doesn't wouldn't either, and that's so well, rare. That's very rare. Yeah, but and but it's rare, but there's usually a reason for it when people don't retire like that. It's usually because they need the money and they don't have any other avenues. That's clearly yeah. not the case for him because he's. I mean, it's recent enough that I remember when he started at the UFC desk and I was like, oh, this guy clearly knows his stuff, obviously, but he's kind of stiff. He's got jitters. He kind of stumbles and he's gotten smooth. He's gotten really good at that job under, yeah. you know, kind of under the, the brightest yeah, lights. Good. And or, you know, they're just kind of the the kind of I hate saying this, but the kind of like delusional blockhead who's who's like, you know, like every time. Uh, Andre Arlovsky wins a fight, you expect him to go, oh, I know I can fight for, for another five years. I can still beat the best guys in the world. Yeah. It doesn't strike me as either of those. So no, yeah, if he wins, neither. I could see him just dropping the gloves and being like, thank you, Salt Lake. You know, this is as close as the UFC is going to come to putting on a show in Washington State in the next three years. So I might as well just <laughs> call it now. Uh, he has a bit of a Paul Felder feel where like, you know, Paul Felder could still compete at, you know, not the best in the division, but still could have competed and just he had opportunity and and Kiesa has that feel like where he could move the Felder route where he's being in like not just at the booth but actually commentating the fights like sure. I could see that happening so I could too I mean he'd have to do something about the mullet but aside from that he you know uh, <laughs> uh it's it's hard to pick Kiesa here and I've said this about other fights recently that we've broken down, even coming in off the, the losses to Luke and Brady, if the Brady loss had been like eight months ago, instead of like 20 months ago, I'd feel even better about picking Chiesa, but you just wonder, you know, he'd been dealing with some injuries. Uh, he's had other interests going on, uh, you know, cutting into his training and time. What version of Chiesa are we going to see? Uh, I do agree that, wrestling has generally been Holland's poison, but if Holland gets out wrestled by Kiesa, that tells me a lot about Holland too, because Holland getting out wrestled by big burly middleweights like Brunson and Vittori is one thing getting uh, out wrestled by a guy in Kiesa at welterweight. Who's mostly got persistence and physical strength and kind of tall man takedowns. Uh, that would be a whole different thing to learn about Holland, but if and when it goes to the ground, I, I, I do like Kiesa there a lot. He has a, an interestingly underrated, or will have an interestingly underrated legacy in the UFC whenever he does retire. In that, he's not one of the first people, not one of the first twenty people, maybe not one of the first fifty people you think of when you're like, who are the greatest grapplers in UFC history? And defensive grappling's always been a vulnerability. Like he's been tapped out plenty of times before the Kevin Lee fight, even if it was a bad stoppage, the Anthony Pettis uh, fight, you got tapped by Jorge Masvidal. Masvidal, of course, another guy with very underrated grappling. But offensively, when you see what Kiesa has done and whom he's done it to, he has abused some good grapplers on the ground. Uh, obviously, tapping out Benil Darius is always going to be a feather in his hat. Uh, I mean, he tapped out... Jim Miller and Benil Darius in, in back-to-back fights. And that was when Miller was still a tough out, especially on the ground. But even later, like when he moved up to 170, in back-to-back fights, I saw him do things to Carlos Condit and Diego Sanchez with one hand that normally it takes two hands to do. 
like with Condit, he did like the 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 arrest hammerlock. I don't know what else to call it. You know, where he just got one of Condit's arms up behind his back. Uh, Sanchez was faded by then, but you know his ground game was was kind of the last thing he had going for him. Like Kiesa is a nasty, nasty grappler, and. I think if this goes to the ground, he he does pose a problem for Holland. I'm leaning the same way you are. And if I'm wrong about this, if we're wrong about this, uh, I think we're going to know within the first two minutes, like if just Kiesa looks slow, if he doesn't seem to be making any real effort towards getting it to the ground, if he's just getting chipped away at range by Holland, I'm going to know I was wrong about this one. But despite the long layoff and despite his back-to-back losses, I like this as a matchup for Kiesa. I'm with you. Give me Kiesa by a uh, decision here. And well, it'd be a great feel good moment if he does walk away at this uh, here, but if not, Hey, he, he's only 35 and he does still have some good years ahead of him. We continue climbing the main card of UFC 291 with a lightweight matchup between Tony Ferguson and Bobby green. Ferguson, the 39 year old Californian is 25 and eight overall. He is 15 and six since joining the UFC as the winner of the 13th season of the ultimate fighter. Uh, he only has six losses in the UFC, but five of them uh, have come in his last five fights as he is mired in uh, just an absolutely miserable losing streak. Uh, he had won 12 straight in the UFC made his way to an interim title had only been separated from a dream fight against Khabib Nurmagomedov by the wrath of the gods, but since about three years ago, he has been in free fall. He fought most recently uh, at UFC 279 in the headliner, uh, where he got tapped out in the fourth round by Nate Diaz. Prior to that, he had losses to Michael Chandler, Benil Dariush, Charles Oliveira, and Justin Gaethje. Uh, he'll look to get back on track here, uh, perhaps his last chance to do so, against Green. The 36-year-old, uh, also from California, is 29-14-1 with one no contest. Overall, he's 10-9-1 with one no contest in the UFC. Uh, he had that one no contest in his most recent fight, where uh, he took on Jared Gordon back in April. There was a clash of heads late in the first round that rendered uh, really Gordon more than Green unable to continue. The fight ended up in disappointment for all involved. Uh, the UFC never made a real serious attempt to rebook it. Gordon has already fought again. Uh, but prior to that no contest, he had back-to-back -back losses to Islam Makachev and Drew Dober. Uh, the Makachev fight was, of course, uh, Makachev's last fight before winning uh, the title. Green stepped in on, on short notice. Uh, but the Drew Dober fight was another uh, KO loss for him. So he's looking for some redemption as well, even if he's not in quite a deep a, as deep a hole as Ferguson. He is the strong favorite to get it done here. Green is minus 350, Ferguson plus 275. Keith, the bad thing about being Tony Ferguson is that once you start losing fights, it takes a long time for everybody to adjust their perceptions of you. I mean, I just talked about how long it took me to kind of realize that my existing notes on Derek Lewis needed a revision. Tony Ferguson is that even more so. And more importantly for him, since I, I doubt he cares what I think about him, uh, it took him four losses in a row before they stopped matching him against top five fighters. I mean, Gaethje, Oliveira, Darius, and Chandler before he finally gets some kind of break. Jeez. That's a, yeah, that's a, it's run. murderous. Yeah. I mean, dude, his last four wins in his 12 fight win streak were RDA, Kevin Lee, 
Anthony Pettis and Donald Cerrone. Yeah. So yeah. there I see I see two top 10 fighters and two kind of 11 through 20 yeah. fighters. Then he gets four losses in a row against top five fighters. Yeah. Like just it's just absolutely brutal. Uh tell me what, if anything, you think Tony Ferguson has left here and how it looks when he tries to get back on track against Green. Yeah. Um that's that's what I'll do. I'm gonna start with Green. Okay. So you know, Green is a boxer that likes to fight at both stances. Uh he drops his hands because because he likes to land from surprising angles. He, you know, great up jab. Uh, it's his weapon that, and a thing that kind of holds his, his entire game together. He, he's one of these guys that has a rare ability to to land while backing up. Uh, he will throw elbows when he gets in close. Uh, you know, negatives we talked about Bobby Green. We talked about this plenty of times. Is he can cruise and, and show a lack of urgency. Uh, though in, in fantasy, he has stepped up his output a lot lately. Uh, defense, it's about slipping, you know, slipping with his hands or rolling with punches. Uh, you know, I'm not a big fan of rolling with punches, but. Uh, but he doesn't get hurt often. Uh, now, but obviously, some would say, "What are you talking about? Drew Dober just knocked him out." Yeah, no. But Drew Dober can is one of the hardest hitters in UFC history. Pound down. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't want to say UFC history, but he's yeah. That's what he's. That's his game. Yeah. Uh, but before that, Green was doing extremely well. Green was winning. Now, he's always been that guy that he if he isn't getting hurt, he's he isn't losing. Uh, Bobby Green kind of thinks that way. Very Jorge Masvidal, very uh, Diaz brothers mentality. He's he's a good defensive wrestler who does well if he's taken down to, to get back to his feet unless he's facing a guy like Islam Makhachev. He's an underrated offensive wrestler, and I've actually looked at his numbers. We've talked about this in the past. He gets more takedowns in the UFC than I thought he did, especially recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tony Ferguson, let's talk about his skills. Um Tony Ferguson's shot. He's completely shot. He got pieced up by Nate Diaz. He got pieced. No, he no. He got pieced up by the ghost of Nate Diaz in his last fight. Um. So that's all I'm gonna say about Tony Ferguson. It's. It, it, I don't want to talk about. Green has never been known for his power. I think he's gonna starch Tony Ferguson. I think he's gonna do it early. I think he's gonna knock Tony Ferguson out in the first round. Give me, give me Bobby Green very first round knockout. Uh, all right, there, there we go. An emphatic call for uh, Green to continue the the miserable slide of Tony Ferguson. Uh, you laid out Green's skill set as well as kind of his shortcomings perfectly, so I won't dwell on that at all. I'll, I'll, you know, color in the lines a little bit more with Ferguson. Uh, what was good about Ferguson four years ago is, I mean he was one of the most just overwhelmingly miserable fighters to take on in the history of the sport. I mean, he was the ultimate guy that broke opponents with pace and accumulation of damage for a, I mean, for a fighter with almost a 50% knockout rate in his fights, like he's never been a powerful hitter. He just, killed people with death by a thousand cuts, sometimes literally uh, there, there used to be those memes going around on Twitter and Instagram where, you know, this is what Tony Ferguson's last seven opponents looked like at the end of their fight with them. And they all looked like they'd been run over by a lawnmower. Uh, just, he broke everybody. His pace was un like his pace was unmatched. His cardio seemed to be unmatched and his durability seemed to be unmatched because even at his greatest, 
Ferguson was never about being unhittable. His opponents always hit him. He just hit, hit them more and hit them for longer and they died and he kept going. Uh, for a guy that presents a, as a wrestler and threatened to ankle pick Fabrizio over doom, uh, his wrestling was always overrated as a skill in a vacuum, but the point of his wrestling was never to get takedowns. It was to create scrambles because sure. what he really wanted was to get going on maybe the greatest front headlock series in MMA history. Like we, we think of that as the team alpha male thing. The team alpha male guys were all yeah. great wrestlers, but they just had this incredible, you know, guillotine that they could use to yeah. sweep people to top position or finish the fight. But for, the, for my money, give me Ferguson. Uh, just, <laughs> Ferguson want to gator roll you first. Yeah, Ferguson want to gator roll you first for no damn reason. There, there's a reason that there's a a whole meme cloud out there about Tony Ferguson is the kind of guy who would. Uh, but that all disappeared in a hurry. He went from this overwhelming fighter who broke everybody to just the the wheels fell off so fast and. It's not just that he's lost five in a row, because again, the first four of the five were against people who were in the title picture. But in in seemingly every single one of those fights, we saw things happen to him that had never happened before. Like, like Chandler just iced him with a single blow like we'd never seen happen to him before. Uh, Darius just overwhelmed him on the ground in a way that we'd never seen before. Uh, Charles Oliveira, I... I picked Ferguson to beat Oliveira because I, given my notes in December of 2020, I said, Tony Ferguson breaks people and Charles Oliveira breaks. It's a front runner against a, a builder. Give me Ferguson. And we got the exact opposite. That's the real problem here. Uh, I'm with you. Ferguson, His I think his durability is gone. Even the fights recently where he's made it, you know, to the third round or fourth round, uh, he's been the guy that his opponents rolling downhill on him. The durability isn't there anymore. Green isn't a real one hitter quitter, but he hits hard enough that I think everything he lands is going to hurt Ferguson. Ferguson can't just shrug these things off anymore. So uh, you said green by first round KO. I'm kind of with you here. And I think it might be like the Chandler fight where Ferguson actually looks real good for a minute because it is possible to look good against uh, Green when yeah. Ferguson Ferguson will be the one coming forward, throwing like level elbows and, you know, keeps <laughs> up the middle and it'll all come crashing down when Green just catches him with one kind of like looping right cross that comes yeah. up from his, from his waist. Uh, it'll be sad, but you know what? It, in a way... I almost hope that's exactly what happens because we just finished talking about Michael Chiesa and the possibility that, Hey, he might just retire and move on to the next thing. You know, if he were to beat Kevin Holland, Tony Ferguson, more than, more than literally any other fighter in MMA history is one who I, I can't imagine will ever show himself the door. <laughs> which is a shame because think of all the options he has. I mean, the guy could have been a major league baseball player if the UFC didn't have him under contract. <laughs> the UFC just let him go. <laughs> what a gem that guy is. What a gem. Uh, like, they, like, don't ever change. Like, I, I mean, when he goes, oh, I know I was going to make a really, that was going to make a bad joke. I, every once in a while I catch myself. <laughs> That's, I call it the Mike Fridley, like 
My Frilly wouldn't have been proud of what he was going to say. I just like what is Tony Ferguson doing to get ready for this fight right now? Like he's not he's not doing jujitsu with somebody. He's not he's not hitting he's not hitting. No, he's, he's probably this. he's probably hitting like. Uh, I mean, he's probably hitting like cinder blocks with a sledgehammer or, you know, <laughs> or, you know, like the things they'll show in like Toyo tires ads where people are like flipping giant tires. Like he's the guy that like actually does that as like the bulk of his work. He's, just, he's doing no, something no, wild, you know, no, 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 he's not. <laughs> he's in the tire while it's getting flipped. Say <laughs> so it somehow it helps with his equilibrium. So he's getting ready for the scrambles. He's, he's getting, he's, he's, he's crunched in the tires as his teammates flipping it. I, I mean, I just, you know what I can see his, his training being? <laughs> I don't know why, where the hell this thing came from. I, I might have a little Tony Ferguson in me. I picture him like having an old school like popcorn machine. Like, you know, the you know, ones that like yeah. they would come out and they'd fall in the bowl. Not like a microwave we stick in there. No, no, like he, like the big glass box with like the kettle yeah, inside yeah. it. Yeah. And, and like he's looking at the kernels getting popped and he's trying to count them. Like that's going to help with his hand eye corner. He's trying to count them <laughs> before they actually pop. As, as, as they pop in like one, two, three, four, five, five six, seven, eight, nine. Like that's that's what Tony Ferguson's doing right now for his training. <laughs> I mean, it, he's an incredible soundbite. He's a unique personality. He was yeah. one of the greatest fighters of his era, and it would all be so much easier to talk about if there weren't just the occasional actual disturbing kind yeah. of stories yeah. that came out from time to time. Like I know, uh, I, I, and that's I, I, yeah, right. I shouldn't be making fun of it. It's just no. I, like, when it comes out that he has like the worst CTUs ever made and shit, like. I shouldn't be making jokes. I mean, it's, he's probably taken more CTE in training than like, you know, yeah. Robbie Lawler has in fights. I, I just, yeah, he's, he's a wild man. We'll never see another one like him, but on a human level, I kind of hope that something happens to kind of force him out of the sport before he would do it on his own. Cause you know, yeah. if the UFC cuts him after, after like, say he loses to green bad and he gets cut by the UFC, that dude is absolutely in BKFC. In oh, six I months. know. I hate BFB, whatever that is. Or, you know, know, or I've, I don't watch that shit. I, 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 I can't watch washed up MMA fighters box. I just can't do it. No, dude, I, I, I've said this before. I, I barely have time to follow good boxing. Like, yeah, why would I, much. you know? Yeah. Uh, but, but, hey, Easter on. on. If you like it, go for it. At, at this point, even like if he loses, I, I can't even imagine like, you know, Bellator or anybody touching him. He's going to go to just some sideshow thing but he's absolutely not going to stop because i have no doubt that in his mind he still thinks he could be ufc champ if he can just you know turn it around that's just that that's that's ferguson it was yeah. the greatness of him was that kind of confidence and now that that confidence looks delusional <laughs> it's the bad part but he's like he's like i need to turn around i gotta change my training he goes to the bowling alley <laughs> <Some shit. laughs> oh man Next up at UFC 291, the last welterweight fight on a card full of them. This one, uh, once again, a gentleman with uh, quite a bit to prove. Uh, it is Stephen Thompson against Michelle Pereira. Thompson, the 40-year-old South Carolina native, is 17-6-1 overall. He's 11-6-1 in the UFC, uh, a run that has seen him challenge for the UFC welterweight title on multiple occasions and come up just agonizingly barely short uh he's had mixed results uh since his pair of fights with tyron woodley back uh, now almost six years ago but he is coming off a win uh he 
beat up on Kevin Holland pretty bad uh, back in December, aided perhaps by the fact that Holland seemed to hurt his hand early in the fight, and it was eventually that hand injury that forced a corner stoppage between the fourth and fifth rounds. But nonetheless, that allowed Thompson to put back-to-back losses against Gilbert Burns and Bilal Muhammad in the rear view. He will attempt to make it uh, two in a row, you know, even as he is uh, crossed into his 40s against Pereira. The 29-year-old Brazilian is 28 and 11 with two no contests overall. He is five and two in the UFC, and or sorry, he's six and two in the UFC. He is on a five-fight win streak. Uh, he lost back-to-back fights to Tristan Connolly and to Diego Sanchez, though the Sanchez one was a weird disqualification. But since then, he's won five straight against uh, Zlim Emadaev, Kalen Williams, Nico Price, Andre Fialho, and Santiago Ponzinibbio. The most recent of those, the Ponzinibbio win was last May at the uh, Holm versus Vieta fight night. It was a split decision. Uh, he'll look to make it six in a row here and complete his transition from wild man curiosity to fringe contender in the welterweight division. He is not favored to do so. Despite the momentum, despite the age, Thompson is a minus 175 favorite, Pereira plus 150. Uh Keith, we know that either way, on Sunday morning, Stephen Thompson's going to be back in Simpsonville driving that church bus. But yeah. is he going to have a smile on his face, or is he going to have a big smile on his face? Yeah, I was just saying, he's always going to have a smile on his face. Yeah, I mean, he's going to, yeah, he's going to be uh, happy no matter what. But is he going to be that yeah. extra kind of happy that comes uh, from getting his win I, bonus? We talk about we talk about Tony Ferguson being a gem. I'm like, huh? How much of a gem is Stephen Thompson? Like, I just picture him picking up kids on the church bus, singing Bingo was his name as he was driving to the next place. Or if, you, if you're happy, you know it, clap your hands. And he's picking kids up. You know, he's got a nickname for all the kids. Like, absolutely. Like, hey, hey, buckaroo, is it coming on? Hey, what's up, pal? <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I, and I imagine that, like, he has, like, a, a bunch of, like, made-up swears for when people cut him off in traffic so he doesn't say any bad words in front of the kids, you know, like this. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, hot biscuit. <laughs> <laughs> I love I, I, Oh, God. Like, if, if, if you were older, you know, if, if, if I was, like, I don't know, Stephen Thompson's like, I just can't imagine, like, Stephen Thompson's wife's, like, father. Like, how happy are you when she met Stephen Thompson? Like, that's going to be her husband. Yes. Like, there's no way he didn't, like, before he asked his wife to marry him, like, talk to the dad and ask for his permission. And Thompson's dad is awesome, too. He was his first karate teacher. He yeah. seems like another of the nicest people on the planet. Yeah. yeah. And the, the dad says yes, and he's like, oh, that's so swell. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we talk about like Tony Ferguson, like what is he gonna do when he's done fighting? He's gonna be like, I don't know, <laughs> trying to climb, trying to climb Mount Everest by himself, yeah, and like just like a cardigan. <laughs> Stephen Thompson's gonna be like the next, the next host of the Seven Hundred Club. <laughs> That's what he's gonna be doing. <laughs> hey, Pat Robin, Pat Robinson died. Let's get Stephen Thompson as the host. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if they replaced Pat Robinson. I don't know, but Stephen Thompson would would be great. Um, all right, so Stephen Thompson is is one of the, the best strikers in MMA history. Like we do this, we do these top ten lists that um, that live live 
is the quarterback of that. He, he reaches out to us, different ones. Like Stephen Thompson's on when he talk about strikers, top ten strikers, he's on everybody's list. Like yep. you know where I don't know, but he's 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 on the list more than one, seven, ten, somewhere. Um, it, it's shocking that he can still compete at this level at forty years old, based on how he like his style. Now the concern of that is it could fade at any time. Uh, yeah. Now he's incredibly athletic. I mean, just look at that, like, like that little acrobatic thing celebration he does, you know, when he wins, uh, he, he's so elusive, so fluid. He just flows so well, seamless between both stances. He's a slip and rip counter striker, elite head movement. Uh, and that's because he hangs his hands low, so he needs it, but great lateral movement and good at, cutting angles when he's attacked, good at causing his opponents to chase him and then suddenly just stopping on a dime and landing a shot when his opponent is still chasing him. Uh, he's, he's, he's good at low and then kind of blitzing forward with a, with a combination. Uh, he showed in his last fight that his hands are still fast. He has that bladed karate stance, making him a small target. So, it's, it, you know, it's hard to hit him, uh, you know, clean, I should say, hard to hit him clean. I think his kicks are still great. I mean, a lot of variety. I, when I think of him, I think of just creative. I mean, go back to like the Jorge. I mean, it's going wild, but Miles Fidel, Vicente Luque, if he wants to just box, he just he jabs those guys up. But then, like, he'll jab you, then he'll hit, like, he'll kick you in the face or side kick you or something right afterwards. Uh, he mixes punches and kicks together combinations really well. He has had fights where he's had low output. I mean, I think like the second Tyron Woodley fight, the Darren. Till fight was ones where he was just wasn't pulling the trigger. Uh, he's also open to leg kicks because of his because of his base, like that big karate base. Uh, another negative about Stephen Thompson, even a prime, and I don't, I don't he, he still could be a prime, but it, you know when he was considered the second best welterweight in the world, he was never a one punch engine kind of guy. Now he could kick you in the head and not get out, but still, like that really wasn't his thing. And I really think he lacks killer instinct because of that karate background where it's like the karate background is like you land one big shot and then you have to stop and then they give a point so you know um he's not the guy who's gonna rock in and follow up and and, and hurt you now obviously he has the skill too but i mean just not it doesn't seem like it's in his nature uh he's more of a guy like hurt you and then reset uh chin has been an issue in the past i mean till uh till knocked him out woodley clipped him um who no, else Pet- uh, Pet is Pettis, sorry, Pettis, yeah. no, 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 Till dropped him. Till dropped yeah. him. Mm-hmm. Pettis knocked him out, and 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 Woodley clipped him in their fights. And I feel like I feel like I'm forgetting somebody else who hurt him. Um, and another negative is he's really struggled to take down defense. I mean, we've seen his recent losses: Bilal Muhammad, Gilbert Burns, you know, take him down and hold him down. Now, Michelle Pahea, he he he's such a big dude, you know. Um, he's besides like big muscle, and I mean, he's got like long arms. We talked about Stephen Thompson's athleticism <laughs> and acrobatics and stuff. Like yeah. Michelle Paya, yeah, not so much that he's calmed it down, but you know, we talked about Stephen Thompson doing some crazy flip to, in, during celebration. <laughs> Michelle Paya did that crazy flip trying to land a punch, or oh, trying yeah. to land a kick, you know. Um, but take away all that funky, funny stuff that he used to do, pushing off, jumping off the cage. He was still very fast, still explosive. Uh, now he's a lot more controlled. He kind of learned, like, okay, that, that was fun for a while, but he, he's actually trying to win now. He marches forward, cuts the cage off well. 
throws feints out there to really set up his power shots. He showed good distance striking against um, Zalem Amadayev, mm-hmm. who, if I'm saying that correctly, yep. he's a good striker himself. He works the dwarf body well. I mean, he struck Santiago Ponzinibbio in, 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 um, in a pretty close fight. I was surprised it was that close, but uh, he uses flying knees both offensively and defensively. He uses it to close the distance, but he also he uses it as a way to stop his opponent's attack who wants to shoot. Like he'll throw those knees up there. I love his step in knee. He's got some great kicks, uh, oblique kicks, uh, teep kicks. And we always talk about this. One thing we don't talk about is how good a wrestler is. Like he can wrestle. I mean, I go back to the Chaos Williams fight. That was one he wrestled. Um, cardio has come a long way. And surprisingly, it was a little bit of a strength in the Santiago Ponzinibbio fight. Like I was surprised how hard he was still fighting in the third round. And, this is a this is a tough fight. I think the line should be closer. Um, I'm picking the upset. I'm I'm betting on Father Time, and I think Thompson's chin isn't going to hold up. And, and, and <laughs> nothing against Michelle Pair. I'm kind of hope I'm wrong because I just like how do you root against Stephen Thompson? <laughs> you know. Like, something's wrong with good... you if you if you yeah. want Stephen Thompson to lose. Something's wrong with you. You know what? All right, side side. That's how I feel about Tim Tebow. When people like hated Tim Tebow, and I'm like, yeah, I understand he wasn't the greatest quarterback, and like, yeah, I was some overhyping him. But do you really want that guy to fail? Like the guy gave away his like his like his his entire signing bonus to charity. Yeah, <laughs> you know, he's he's like setting up proms for like special ed kids and stuff. And anyways. That's that's how I, I I kind of put like Stephen Thompson and, and Tim Tebow are probably like best friends, you know. Um, they, they they it seems like they would get along. Yeah, exactly. Um, um yeah. So I'm I'm worried about the age. It's it's surprising to me that Stephen Thompson's forty because like you look at him and he's like his face and he's just like he looks like he's twenty six, mm-hmm. you know. Um. But I'm worried about his chin. And honestly, Pahaya could turn this into a wrestling match and shock everybody. I was expecting to see these spectacular kicks and flips and everything. And he could just turn into a wrestling match and win. But I don't see, I don't think he does. I think he's going to catch Thompson with one big shot. I'm going to say he does it early. I'm going to say he knocks him on the first round. Uh, I, I like the breakdown there. I like the pick. And you kind of stole a lot of the points that I I wanted to make here. I've talked about other fighters on this card. And frankly, I talk about fighters every week that I may have written off a little prematurely. I absolutely wrote Pereira off prematurely. Like I was excited when the UFC signed him because you looked at his highlight reel and it was just full of like, think of how legendary Anthony Pettis is for doing the Showtime kick. And then you realize that when he was fighting in Korea, Pereira used that like most fighters use a jab. He was doing jump off the cage strikes like in every single fight. He was doing like backflip guard passes. I think just insane stuff. And my whole thought was, okay, well, he's not going to amount to anything, but this will be fun while it lasts. He showed up. He destroyed Danny Roberts in his debut. But then, you know, he lost to Tristan Connolly and he lost to Connolly because he gassed out really bad. And then he lost to Diego Sanchez in a fight he was winning because he got wild and did something stupid. I was like, well, He's probably going to gas out and do stupid things frequently. So, you know, there you have it. But he's won five in a row. And 
you can't win five in a row in the welterweight division without being a good fighter. Uh, it's, I, it's, I still think it's one of the hardest uh, divisions in the UFC to go on a winning streak. And you kind of pointed out he's, he's become a more controlled striker. He's proven that he can, instead of just being an all flying stuff all the time fighter, he can win just a straightforward kickboxing match and throw in wild stuff from time to time. Like he beat Nico Price that way. He beat Andre Fialio that way. Uh, he's proven that he can wrestle. Uh, with that athleticism and that strength, you figured he'd probably have pretty good entries and pretty good finishes, and it turns out that, that he does. Uh, so he's become a more well-rounded fighter under the brightest lights, and I think that's admirable. And in the midst of that, he's gone on a winning streak against all guys that have lights out power. I mean, Chaos Williams, Nico Price, Andre Fialio, and Santiago Ponzinibbio, they all have their strengths and weaknesses, but those are all big hitters, and he's and he survived against all of them. Uh, I'm with you here. I'm thinking upset, and for the same reason you are. I could see him catching Thompson. Uh, Thompson's chin looks vulnerable in a way that it, it maybe was vulnerable before, but just very, very few people were able to uh, take advantage, and then... Thompson has gone from being very hard to take down to, okay, we've, we've seen some, we've seen plenty of people take him down now. Uh, Gilbert Burns and Bilal Muhammad are both very good wrestlers. So, I mean, there's not too much shame in that, but so is Pareto all of a sudden. Uh, I don't think there's any way Thompson is better at 40 than he was at 39 or 36. So yeah, give me Pereira who, despite his, this being, I think his 40th or 41st fight is still under age 30 to, yeah, with the help of father time, I, I think he beats Thompson here. Um, I'm going to say that he does have to turn to the, to the wrestling and he grinds out a decision over Thompson, but we see him get takedowns on Thompson in at least two of the three rounds. See Thompson struggle to get back up, get returned to the mat and Pereira's surprisingly improved cardio, despite being built the way he is, is enough to carry him through. So I've got Pereira in the moderate upset here as well. I have him by decision. The co-main event of UFC 291 is a light heavyweight matchup between a pair of former champions in Jan Bohovic and Alex Pereira. Bohovic, the 40-year-old pole, is 29-9-1 overall. He is 12-7 and or sorry, 12-7-1 in the UFC. He, of course, is the former UFC light heavyweight champ. Uh, he lost, he won that title, defended it, lost it to Glover Teixeira. He fought for the vacant title last December against uh, Magomed Ankalaev. The title remained vacant uh, because it went down as a split draw, even though most observers seem to think uh, Ankalaev should have won that one. Uh, here, he is fighting in a fight that is not for the title, but definitely has immediate title implications. Uh, facing him will be Pereira. The 36-year-old Brazilian is just 7-2 and two in a fairly green uh, mixed martial arts career. Uh, he's 4-1 and one in the UFC. He, of course, won his first four fights uh, in the promotion on his way to winning the UFC middleweight title over his combat sports nemesis, Israel Adesanya. He then lost that title to Adesanya in the rematch. Uh, he got knocked out in the second round. That was at UFC 287 back in April. He almost immediately announced his intention to move up to the 205-pound division, and this will be his debut in a likely title eliminator. 
This is the closest fight on the card in terms of odds. It is practically a pick 'em as neither guy is available at plus money, but Blahovich is the slightest of favorites. He's out there around minus 120 most places, Pereira minus 110. Uh Keith, I it's a second fight in a row with a with a 40-year-old on it. This one is two former champs. Uh I mean, high stakes, really intriguing fight of all the fights on this card. This is the one where I have the least idea what it's going to look like once it starts. Like almost no results in this fight would really, really shock me. There are just so many question marks in my mind here. Uh, who do you like in this fight and how do you see it going? Yeah, this is um, this is a good one. This is a really good. That's I'm with you, man. It's really intriguing. I mean, you talk about the former middleweight champion, Alex Pahea. I mean, Dude looks like a pro wrestler in real life. When I when I met him, he, he's he's I can't believe how big he is. Dude is so big. He's an elite striker. You know, obviously highly decorated kickboxer. Quick hands, explosive, accurate. I mean, we we you know we think it was the last fight when he was knocked out by Israel Adesanya. He was winning. Like don't forget, Adesanya caught him while Adesanya was against the cage. You know, getting tagged up, whether it was a rope and dope or or. or or was he, you know, really caught and then just landed shot? I don't know, but like Pay was winning up to that point. Uh, he he marches forward with short, tight shots, no tells. His his left hook should be illegal. <laughs> like that, that's how good it is. You know, it's like uh, he, he's you know you're playing in a baseball league and everyone's using wooden bats and he's using like the DeMarini corks extra special <laughs> like. You know, uh, he can strike while backing up, stopping a diamond, and and land a shot. He has so much power because he keeps his base on. He just generates it from his legs. He's got great leg kicks. I mean, go back to the first MMA fight with Adesanya. Adesanya said the reason why he lost was the leg kicks. You credit that to him. Um, that's what hurt him. He for a decorated kickboxer, he does keep his chin a little high and drops his hands. Uh, that that's kind of how, and, and he goes a little wide. That's how. Adesanya was able to kind of throw something in between uh, the, in between his combinations and catch him. Uh, he's very good plum clinch, beautiful Muay Thai plum clinch knees, but you know, he doesn't really look to wrestle and his take on defense is, is weak. I mean, uh, Adesanya, who's not known for his wrestling, was taking him down pretty easily in, in their first MMA fight and he struggled to get back up, but he, he eventually did because he's a big guy and I, I normally would say that size you know, being that he's moving up, he won't be as big, but he's, he'll be, he might need to be even bigger. You know, like it's advantage oh, in size. At oh, okay. he's huge. I assume he'll be the heavier guy in the cage. Oh, I, I did too. I did too. Yeah. Uh, Blahovitz, you know, former light heavyweight champion. This is a, and this just became a huge fight with Jamal Hill being out and everything. The winner of this fight is definitely probably fighting for the title next. Yeah. I mean, um, if, if Hill had gotten injured a month earlier, this probably would be for an interim title. I, I don't know. I don't know why they just didn't. I mean, maybe the guys didn't want to do five rounds, or so they might have. They might have offered it. Maybe the guys can't do five rounds. I don't know, but it, it it's a fight that makes the most sense right now. Now, Blahovitz, he, he he can he can fight out of both stances, but I, I said this before. I think he's better in the orthodox stance. Uh, tight inside boxer, also has a a great legendary left hook. Nice power. I love that he works the body. Uh, he's good at winning hand fighting battles. Like if you're if you're kind of putting your hand out trying to trying to range, 
the range find, he, he's good at like pulling your hands in and landing shots. He generates so much power because he, he, he stays very compressed and keeps his base on him, very similar to like a Michael Chandler does. Uh, he can starch anybody in the division. Um, like Dominic Reyes, he knocked out. Corey Anderson, he knocked out. Uh, even like a Luke, Luke Rockhold, which is not the best example, but he knocked him out. Um, his kicks are a really good part of his game, especially his calf kicks. I mean, he nearly beat Mega Man and Kalev for just kicks alone, <laughs> calf kicks. Uh, he'll close the distance and grind. He's, he's a strong, dirty boxer. I mean, he's landed that close exit on Luke Rockhold, um, which was so beautiful. Underrated offensive wrestler. I mean, he defended his title against Israel Asanya with just wrestling. You know, not, not just wrestling. I shouldn't say just wrestling. But that was a huge you know, the biggest factor in that fight. Uh, though, in fairness, he was much bigger than Adesanya, so I don't know if that translates well with a guy like the size of Alex Bahia. He's an okay defensive wrestler. Um, I was surprised how easily he was taken down by Glover Teixeira in a fight where you knew Glover Teixeira would want to get the fight to the ground. Uh, he is a submission threat. I mean, you look how quickly he took out a guy like Nikita Krylov. Uh, but then... Again, against like Glover Teixeira, he really struggled on the ground against. So, uh, a little for a high, a high elite guy, a little inconsistent there. So, as far as prediction, if it remains on the feet, I think Pereira blasts Blahovitz. I, I really do. I think he, I think he puts him out. Um, but Blahovitz is really intelligent. I'll say that. Like he, when I saw how he, how quickly he was to close the distance against Adesanya and not really test himself in the striking, knowing that he had the advantage. You know, shows me, you know, winning is the biggest thing for him. Not putting on a show, not just winning. I think Blahovich turns this into a wrestling match. I, 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 I can't imagine he doesn't. After you saw Pahir struggled in their first fight against Adesanya with Adesanya's wrestling, uh, I, I, I do believe Pahir. The more he trains, the better his wrestling is going to be because he's working with a guy like a, I mean, a wizard on the ground in Glover Teixeira. But I still don't think that's enough. I think Blahovitz gets him down. Um, I think he wears him down. I think he tires him down. And I think he catches the submission. I'm going to say Blahovitz subs him in the third round. Yeah. I The Blahovitz's keys to victory here, I mean, well, they are what you've said. They were obviously. But what it hinges on is him not being too diminished at age 40 and – him coming in with the right game plan and pursuing that game plan in a disciplined manner. The first is something he doesn't have much control over. It's just, we're going to see what we see when we see it. But the second, there aren't many fighters in the UFC. I would trust over Jan Blahovich to at least go out with the right plan and try to fight to his best advantage. He's not the kind of guy and 205 is full of knuckleheads. 205 is full of, of, uh, talented fighters with terrible game plans uh you know it, it's kind of a thing but Blahovich isn't one of them he's not the kind of guy that's going to go out and try to test his luck quote unquote against you know one of the best strikers in the world he, he knows what he needs to do in this fight and I don't think he should have much trouble getting Pereira to the ground if he can get his hands on him uh I mean a, aside from just you know, changing levels and trying to shoot, which isn't his best thing. I think if he can can just get his hands on him, we're going to see body locks, trips, lateral drop type stuff. Uh, if Blahovich can get Pereira against the fence with Pereira's back to the fence, I think he can find takedowns there. So it mostly comes down to him navigating that range against a guy 
with the reach and speed and as you mentioned kind of untelegraphed offense of Pereira so he's gonna have to navigate a minefield and trenches with razor wire and anti-aircraft guns to get there but I think if you can get Pereira down his top game will take over uh Pereira is working at a great camp to shore that up I mean he's working at a small camp that has been kept intentionally small under the tutelage of one of the heaviest top position grapplers in MMA history, but two or three years is not much time to learn a whole new skill set, especially when you spent 15 or 20 years building one that requires you to do almost the opposite things. Uh, there's just a limit to how much you can do. If Bohovic comes out and he looks old, he looks off. There's a good chance he gets starched. I'm leaning against that. Give me Bohovic to, uh, find ways to get Pereira to the ground, beat him up uh, there. If Pereira just uses his massive size and strength to get back up, I see Bohovich being able to get Matt returns and just make life miserable for Pereira. If it goes past the first round, I think Pereira is the one who's going to be getting tired faster. Uh, Bohovich is on top of everything else, an efficient top position grappler. He's not the kind of guy that wears himself out before his opponent. Uh, he... I'm not interested in making excuses for Blahovich, and he doesn't need me to make excuses for him, but he looked so flat and so bad in the Teixeira fight, even before the end came, that I'm inclined to see that as an aberration because he looked better against Rakic and even against Ankalaev in a fight that I thought he lost. So unless Blahovich has gotten old overnight, I I'm with you. I think this is a bad matchup for Pereira and Blahovich, uh, and Blahovich gets this done. I'm going to say Blahovich wins uh, TKO round two, probably ground and pound. The main event of UFC 291 is a lightweight contenders rematch uh, between Dustin Poirier and Justin Gaethje. This time, of course, there will be some gold or at least kind of silver or platinum. I guess the BMF belt isn't really gold in color. But at any rate, the UFC's uh, most popular made-up belt is at stake here as Poirier and Gaethje rematch. Uh, Poirier. 34-year-old Louisiana native is 29 and 7 with one no contest overall. He is 21 and 6 with one no contest in the UFC. Uh, he's 13 and 3 with one no contest since moving up to lightweight from featherweight. Uh, he won his last time out. He tapped out Michael Chandler in the third round at uh, UFC 281 last November. Prior to that, he had lost to Charles Oliveira in their title unification bout uh, all the way back in December of 2021. So he's looking to stay in the actual lightweight title picture, looking to go 2-0 against Gaethje and looking to pick up that BMF hardware. Uh, his opponent, Gaethje, 34-year-old Arizona native by way of Colorado, 24-4 and overall. 7-4 and four since joining the UFC as the outgoing World Series of Fighting lightweight champ. He has alternated wins and losses in his last five, but he is coming in off of a win. He took a majority decision over Rafael Faziv at UFC 286 in March. Prior to that, uh, he was choked out in the first round by Oliveira at UFC 274. That was all the way back last May. Odds here do a slightly favor Poirier, who was the victor in their first fight five years ago. Uh, Poirier is out there around minus 150 as the favorite. Gaethje plus 130 as the underdog. Uh, Keith, I mean, we've seen these guys 
go at it once. It was a five round fight. It went into the to the main event rounds. I mean, if you expect it to look different this time, I'd be interested in hearing why. And just, I mean, give me who you think wins this and what it, what it looks like. Um, well, I mean, why could it change? Just because it's so many years later. Um, I think, I think both guys have changed as fighters. I think, um, especially Gaethje. Gaethje's definitely became more controlled, more, um, more technically sound. Um, I'm not saying that he's going to win, but, uh, Poirier is kind of like Alex Perry. When you meet him, he's, he's, he's a massive guy for the weight class. He's, he's a Southpaw, really high output that he loves to switch stances mid attack. So he gets different angles, which, you know, I love, uh, he keeps his base when he's striking. So he generates so much power. His counter right hook is his best strike. It's that's what he hurt. Max Holloway with that's what he knocked out kind of a regular in their second fight. I love that he body shots a big thing. Go back to like the Eddie Alvarez five minutes a while ago, but they crushed out Eddie Alvarez body shots. Uh, calf kicks have been added to his game, so they, like that's something he never really had back then. Really good calf kicking game, which he he did against Conor McGregor. Though he doesn't check leg kicks, I mean Dan Hooker hurt him with leg kicks. He has legendary power. I mean, you you talked earlier about the the faces that. Tony Ferguson makes people look like, you know, I'll butcher it up. Same thing with Dustin Poirier. <laughs> like he, you know, he, uh, he's got a great chin and an ability to recover. Um, I, I should say great chin. Like he has been, I mean, I know Charles Oliveira called him and everything, but just when he's hurt, he, he'll still like find a way to come back and which is really impressive for an elite fighter. He's never been a good wrestler. You know, if he gets a takedown, it's usually from the clinch against the fence. Uh, to his credit, he did wrestle against uh, Conor McGregor, which was smart. Uh, if he's he has been taken down by a lot of fighters, you know, Michael Chandler and Eddie Alvarez, um, Dan Hooker, uh, obviously H- H- Habib. You know, those are just guys off the top of my head that I know have taken him down, and. Sometimes he makes it worse, and we've talked about this like a million times. That I hate when he jumps guillotine. His, but he's hard to hold on. He continues like he he has this like willpower to to get himself back to his feet. But the the best thing I think about uh, Dustin Poirier is, you know, you look at his ability to get late stoppages. I mean, Eddie Alvarez, the, the Justin Gaethje in, in wars. But it's it's like he's a clutch. If if he was a team sports player, the first thing you talk about just like ice in his veins, clutch player. When it's coming down the stretch and he needs to win the last round, Dan Hooker, Max Holloway, Michael Chandler, all fights where it's like a fifth round, who's gonna win this one? He digs deep. And I and I talked to him, I actually asked him in his last fight, you know, what is it about him that the ability to do that? And I just he just says, Dave, that's fighting. Like that's just how I'm made. Like it's that's what I how I view fighting. Being in a tough situation, you need to perform, and you do. So, Justin Gaethje, he's a great striker, and he stopped being this wild brawler, and that was pretty technically sound. Now he, he definitely still wants to get in the pocket and and land big shots, but he has a lot more tools. He's got a great overhand right. He's got a great left hook. Arguably the meanest leg kicks in the game. I mean. 
like who who wins a kicking battle against Edson Barboza? Like who can say that? <laughs> you know, <laughs> like Justin Gage again. Uh, he he's a good dirty boxer. Like he's good at grabbing the head, uppercut, and landing short shots. He actually did it to uh, Fazeev in his last fight. He really did it against Donald Trump. I mean, like he finished Donald Trump with it. He, he, despite all that good stuff, he does have some defense faults. He backs straight up. Uh, he's been rocked more than anybody like in history. <laughs> You know, uh, people always mention his all-American wrestling. I mean, it's, his wrestling is so grossly overrated. It's like it's not even worth talking about. One, he never used it. Two, he was a all-American. He played seventh one year. Like it's, yeah, it's an all-American. That's impressive. But it's like he's he's not this elite, you know, wrestler. You know, and it's been so not to mention it's been so long ago when he actually accomplished that. So, yeah. I, and. I, I I I just I think that skill is faded, and I don't think he can use it anymore. So I I don't think he can wrestle for long periods of time. So it, this I hadn't go as deep into this main event as I as I normally do because this this fight isn't really meant to be broken down in a technical sense because that's not what it's for. It's about two badass dudes who's going to fight to a badass war. I do think five rounds has. Favors Poirier because we've seen Gaethje slow down. Though, though in fairness, like he hasn't really slowed down lately. But um, and especially what we talked about with Poirier and his ability to win that late in the fight. Man, I I just think we get those classic Justin Gaethje, Dustin Poirier type battles. You know, like where they all they've both been in so many battles. And I just, I just expect I just expect it again. And I I think when we think of BMF. I don't think we're going to remember Masvidal and Diaz. I think we're going to remember these guys because I'm expecting a fight of the year candidate. Oh. And, I mean, that's – but it, it's 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 unfair to throw that on there. It's, I was like, oh, yeah, of course it's going to be. But, like, think about how unfair that is. Like saying, hey, this is going to be insane, this fight, and it's going to be fight of the year because that's what you guys do. But I still expect it, <laughs> you know. Um I never go by a gut call. I, I just I don't do that. I always go with what I think is the brain call. You know mm-hmm. what I think I, I see on film. I'm gonna go with a gut call here, and I think we're gonna have some massive momentum swings in this bout. One moment Poirier's teeing off on Gaethje, next man Gaethje's teeing off on Poirier. Oh my god, we're gonna have a stoppage. Oh my god, not. Oh, they survived. Oh, Poirier's going to put him, put him away. Oh, wow, Gaethje just caught a left hook and rocked him back. Oh, no, Gaethje's going to put him away. And, oh, Poirier just slammed him. Or, or you know, I, I expect that. I think we're going to have an all-time war. But you know what I also think we're, we're going to get? I think we're going to get a trilogy fight down the road. And by saying that, that means I'm picking Gaethje. I think Gaethje wins. I think it's a no-brainer fight of the night. I think we have – Fight of the year. I think it's going all five rounds. I think it's going to be bloody. I think I we just did a the ten greatest fights in UFC history top ten. Mm-hmm. I think we might have to rewrite the list after this one. Like I'm I'm going that far in it, and it might be number one. I'm I'm I'm, I'm I, so I just said how unfair it is. I just think this fight's going to deliver. I'm going to say Gaethje wins the decision. The big difference just being those chopping leg kicks that has affected party in the four. Give me Justin Gaethje, but uh. You know what? No, I'll see you next. Just engage my unanimous decision. You know what? None of that would surprise me. And least of all, your call that 
this is a no-brainer fight of the night, probably fight of the year, one of the greatest fights of all time. Uh, and any other fighters that you could possibly think of that would be unreasonable expectations to place on them. Like the only single fighter I can think of who has been as reliable an action merchant as Gaethje and Poirier in my time watching this sport is Robbie Lawler. And Lawler never had a Gaethje or Poirier. Like he, he pulled two incredible fights out of Rory McDonald, but Rory McDonald was hit or miss. Like it's, it's Robbie Lawler made those, you know, because Lawler almost never had a bad fight. He had two of them against Hendricks, yeah. but people never, they always talk about yeah. the content and they always talk about the McDonald. I tell people, go watch the Hendricks fight. They're just as good. Yep, they, they are. Uh, they're incredible. I mean, uh, Lawler had sure dogs fight of the year, three, uh, three fights in a, three years in a row, like 2012 or sorry, 2013, 2014, That's 2015. Awesome. Uh, Justin Gaethje <laughs> cool. has been in the UFC cool for six good. years and yeah. he's had, uh, sure dogs fight of the year, three, three times in six years. The first fight <laughs> yeah. between Gaethje and Poirier was sure dogs fight of the year for 2018. And round two of that fight was uh round of the year. I just remember because I, I wrote the round of the year <laughs> article that year. Uh so it, <laughs> too too bad those guys weren't at like the same prime in the same way. Like how insane would that have been? Anyway, seriously. sorry, sorry to sorry to interrupt you. No, it's like all all that to say that even if it sounds unreasonable to pre-anoint this as a fight of the year candidate, it would be almost surprising if it didn't. Like name me a bad Justin Gaethje fight. I'll wait. That's almost that's almost the problem with Justin Gaethje. Like I I figured that he would flame out when he got to the UFC because I was like, you know Same. what, a, a future UFC champ doesn't have two exciting fights with uh, Luis Palomino. Like Gaethje yeah. would just fight down to his level of opposition by getting into wild brawls. But yeah. no, he also, I I mean, he stumbled a couple times out of the gate. You know, he lost two of of his first three in the UFC. But, but they were bangers. His, they were bangers. Yeah. I mean, one of them was fight of the year, and then he. Uh, he made some minor adjustments and he became a perennial top five guy while still exciting. And same with Poirier. Like when was the last boring Dustin Poirier fight? I, I don't, I don't know if he's had one in the UFC and he's going on 30 fights. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, I would love it if Gaethje won just because we would end up getting a trilogy. I am leaning the other way though. Uh, just, there's so many parallels between these guys. Like they fought for the first time back in 2018. They're both six and two since then. Both of their losses were to Charles Oliveira and Khabib Nurmagomedov. And in both cases, they look pretty similar. Both of them had Oliveira in some trouble before Oliveira came back and, and beat them. And Khabib basically thrashed them both in pretty similar fashion. Just, you know, mm -hmm. effortlessly out wrestled them and, uh, and, and tapped them out or just put them to sleep in the case of Gaethje. Cause of course, Gaethje didn't tap. Uh, <clears throat> Having said that, you know, they're both the same age. They've both been in a ton of wars. But if one of them is starting to slip, I just get the feeling it's Gagey. And ironically, I mean, you mentioned that uh, despite Gagey's all-American wrestling background, I mean, go, go Northern Arizona Lumberjacks. But, uh, <clears throat> you know, despite his all-American wrestling background, his wrestling in MMA has gone from 
overrated to underused to effectively non-existent. It's worth noting that in their first fight in 2018, even in the midst of the round of the year, Poirier's, Poirier was the one who went for take, for a takedown. Uh, and offensive wrestling is not, you know, his thing. Uh, here, I just think we're going to end up with more incredible back and forth swings of momentum. I mean, round two of their first fight alone had multiple uh, swings in, in momentum. Uh, it was just a fight full of kind of heroics. But I just expect that Poirier is going to have a little more left in the tank. Uh, you already mentioned that, you know, on top of all of his skills and on top of all of his physical attributes, his mental ability to dig deep is maybe his greatest weapon. And even if he has to, like, you know, like I, I think he's going to be able to here. Give me Poirier to win. And my guess would be that it's a, a TKO in the, I guess I can say championship rounds since there's a belt on the line. Give me Poirier by another uh, TKO in, you know, fourth or fifth round. I'll say fourth again uh, in another absolute instant classic of a fight and a likely candidate, you know, if not a shoe in for fight of the year. Uh, I've said since they announced this, that this is the non-title fight that I'm most excited for in 2023. Uh, it still is. And I have very little concern that it will disappoint us. Any final thoughts on this one? Yeah, I just want to say one thing before someone in the comments says something. Like we both said that Gaethje's wrestling is non-existent anymore. He did get a takedown against Fazeev in this last fight. So uh, we'll throw that out there for you guys. But that's one takedown in 11 UFC fights. So I and, think it's and in the most obvious, the most obvious situation ever to do it where, okay, I'm fighting literally the striking coach at Tiger Muay Thai. I should mix it up a little bit here. Yeah, but but, I, just, I just want to put it that he's got one takedown in 11 fights. So I, I think it's safe to say he's not going to get a takedown. And one last bit of trivia. Uh, Shout out to Sherdog Brazil correspondent Christian Stein for pointing out this bit of trivia to me. This card, the top three fights, all feature a fighter whose name means pear tree in their uh, native language. Pereira and Poirier both mean pear tree in Portuguese and French, respectively. <laughs> that's why he's the best. That's why that's why Christian Stein is the best. Uh, <laughs> that's it. That is the Sherdog Radio Network preview for UFC 291, Poirier versus Gaethje 2. I've been your host, Ben Duffy. He has been your expert, Keith Schillen. If this is your first time watching one of our previews, first of all, thank you. We hope you enjoyed it. We do our best to bring a mix of actual analysis of these fights along with the occasional historical or humorous aside. Uh, please do like, subscribe, drop us a comment. Keith and I both man the comment section. We'd love to hear your takes on these fights, or if you think we're completely out of our gourds, that's entirely possible. Uh, we both pick some upsets here. But most importantly, join us for the recap. We are live on the SureDog YouTube page, uh, usually about 10 or 15 minutes after the main event, uh, where Keith takes the captain's chair. We break down all 12 of these fights in reverse order, starting from the main event on down to the first prelim. Uh, we'll talk about what was good, what was bad, what was surprising, what was controversial. There's always something. And we'll talk about what's next for some of the notable winners as well as losers. And we'll be talking with you because the live chat is open that whole time on the YouTube page. So we're taking your questions and your comments in real time. We have a growing community of friends there who join us and hang out after the fights. And we'd love you to be part of it. Between now and then, 
Thank you once again for listening. Enjoy the rest of your week, and by all means, enjoy these fights. Don't forget to like, subscribe, comment, all that good stuff. All that good stuff. All that good stuff.